Okay, we are live here. 229-2024, leap year. This is One-Eyed Jack in the Shells, Death to the Ball, Requiem in E minor. A few new announcements. Uh, we're back on a schedule, and also we are finally able to introduce the IPSD program in the mornings, which will be followed by a one-hour Discord chat. And I posted that in the newsletter uh, this morning. In other words, uh, after the live stream, we're all just going to jump into the Discord and chat for about an hour because we kind of missed that as a way to gather information, hear more voices. Uh, to be quite honest, we kind of broke away from Discord just to give the uh, the whole thing time to air out. It was just loaded with these undesirables. But at this point, I think we have a handle on it. So if you're not in the Discord, just get on the newsletter, and there's a link right there. Joined by Circle 360 said, what happened with the earlier stream? You know, this happens every time. I tell you, when I get on my mobile phone, it's only going to be half an hour before something happens. Buffering, or my phone will overheat. And I was talking about my hot skull. I was talking about my fever and my fever dreams, and my phone overheated. So I just had to go home. That's what happened. And when my phone overheats, I can't access the stream. It just replays the last five seconds on a loop, so it's unsalvageable. So whatever we talked about, it was too much. It overheated the system. There's steam coming out of the phone. I think we had a troll in there who said I was a false prophet. And I'm like, I'm not making prophecies here. I'm analyzing the news and recognizing the strategy of repetitive propaganda implemented through what we call predictive programming. To deny predictive programming is to be a reality denialist. It's to be media illiterate. We are the ones making an attempt to understand it. And the last I checked, I'm the only one to have applied the sharpshooter fallacy to explain the gematria prophets. So I'm not the one making prophecies. I'm debunking the prophets. Just pointing that out. All right, we are joined here by Les Go, Redacted Bigley, Peace Circle 360, Osher 06, Frank Murr, Napoleon Wilson, Oswaldo. There's been some interesting Os Lee Harvey Oswald references in the media recently. In fact, someone sent a letter full of white powder to Donald Trump Jr. And in the letter, it said something about Lee Harvey Oswald's grandson needs to finish the job. Strange reference there, but part of a succession of references to Lee Harvey Oswald. From the quarterback Brock Purdy being compared to Lee Harvey Oswald to the connections we made throughout, starting with Robert Cremo, obsessed with a guy who goes and he shoots up a 4th of July parade with a 4-7 tattooed on his head. Anyway, the usual stuff. This is just your daily bread and circuses. Uh, I just got back from a Walmart, and, and this is probably an indicator of where things are going to go this year. And this is one reason why I'm glad I'm not political. I'm not going to be politicized. I mean, I considered voting for Biden just to make the point that I literally don't believe in the efficacy or the need to vote because everything is so compromised. Reality's been so compromised. It literally doesn't matter. My point of it is I'm not participating because we're breaking away from the controlled opposition alt-media and their political horseshoe, their false political solutions, their leader worship. I mean, you're voting for celebrities. My point is, I want to separate from that because Trutherville has been grafted onto the Republican Party. It's a political movement. That's, that's where they've gone. And I want to separate from that because I don't want to be a part of the madness. And by not being part of that madness, by not being plugged into the current thing, 
Like, nobody's talking about Taylor Swift anymore. You see how fast that is? Burning Plains, Taylor Swift. I mean, it's always the thing of the month or thing of the week. The current thingers. What are they thinking, what are they thinking about right now? The current thingers. But I want to break away from them. And I was at a Walmart, and there was a, a MAGA in there who was trying to get everyone to start chanting, uh, Let's Go Brandon. And nobody joined in with him. It was the most awkward and cringy thing. And people just watched. And I think he was ashamed because he actually had his hoodie over his face. And he stopped by the door and he raised his hand and he said, don't forget to vote for Donald Trump. Like, it was pathetic. Uh, nobody was swayed in the slightest. But the, uh, the morning live streams are going to be a staple. And it's going to be followed by a chat I think we have been missing out. We need to open the chat up because there are many people who just can't access this by phone. And one more point. When we do these uh, live chats in the mornings, um, I will probably have it on the 24th. It'll be on the live stream. It'll probably be, still be live. And so just to let you know, it'll go out there. And I think it's important. We want to hold people accountable uh, for everything. I mean, I'm holding myself accountable. If I'm wrong and we're on a CGI ball, I will be the first one to admit it. I like to figure out how I've been misled. We're joined by Flat Earth Outlaws as keep up the good work. Thanks for joining. You know, there's um, no shortage of people who are globe skeptics, who question NASA, and who don't fit the stereotype or the straw man they've set up. And the best they can do arguing against the Flat Earth is making an argument from the authority of the screen, meaning it's evidence, it's scientific evidence. And the people who are on the side of the dominant paradigm don't even include in their assessment the possibility for movie magic enhancing the propaganda. It's, it's not even in their field of awareness. And that's one of the things that differentiates what we're doing from media believers. See, it's media skeptics and media believers. And the alternative media are believers. They're deeper in the box. They're not skeptics. There's no internal skepticism in the mass and alternative media ecosystem. And that's why we want to break away from it. Now, I have nothing against people getting involved, you know, politically and espousing their opinions. I mean, that guy's free speech was to go chanting, let's go, Brandon. I'm just pointing it out to show you how, or to indicate, this is maybe an indication that uh, people are very active and they're very triggered. In fact, um, there's been few people setting themselves on fire recently. I assumed it was going to be blamed on direct energy weapons. I've already seen the fires in Texas blamed on that. But there's been a couple of immolations. One of them was a soldier in his uniform who set himself on fire for uh, Palestine. And we'll talk about that one, which I think there's some indication it could be fake. Uh, another one, man in London on fire, somebody films it without trying to help. See, that's an indicator it might be a hoax. I don't know. I mean, filming a guy on fire, not taking off your coat and patting him down. I mean, what does that say about the person who's filming it? It's like filming a snuff movie. I'm going to film somebody burning to death. Like, that is sick. Humanity, what is wrong with you? This one doesn't look fake to me. So, I think it's probably, I don't know, you know, at this point it's believable. People are getting that triggered. I'm untriggerable. I'm not really perturbed by anything going on. Like, I just kind of didn't watch or pay attention to the news, like, for most of the day. 
and not once did I even think about it. I'm not plugged in, but I'm not uninformed. This is not head in the sand. I'm very informed, and I'm, I'm informed enough to know that there's no reason to be plugged in and engaged emotionally, and there's no reason to be triggered if you understand how our news-bent reality works. They are presenting us in the form of almost like a reality TV show. It's grotesque. But our news is beyond just fake news. It's worldview formation 24-7. It's written in advance, and this is how the elite are writing our history. They're not making it up as they go. It's prefabricated. And they know that eventually they're just going to burn all of our books, and they'll have the final version. Tominoid says, Tay was in Australia. It's in our news nonstop. Well, I'm just waiting for them to princess die her. And I think they're going to do it with some kind of a DEI excuse. There's been a build-up for it. Like, there's something poetic about it. You see, Princess Tay-Tay is what they called her on the right. The alt-right 4chan incel Nazi-adjacent types worshipped Taylor Swift in 2016-2017 as their idealized Aryan princess. And then when she jumped to the other side, they've been a little miffed. They feel betrayed. And now that she's going to cause Joe Biden to win the election, they all want her to go. And one of the major current things on the alt-right, on the alt-right, on the far right, is the DEI thing. Diversity, equity, inclusion. Suggesting that in order to meet quotas, the airlines are hiring unqualified people. Surgeons that are unqualified are being put in these positions just because they're not white. Which I don't think is actually how it works. But this is the major talking point. And I heard Candace Owens said something like, if I saw a female pilot, I wouldn't get on the plane. If it's not a white pilot, I wouldn't fly. I mean, it's really dumb, but it's pervasive. And there's been a lot of stuff in the news from the last three or four months. You know, planes, doors falling off, planes on fire, planes having all kinds of um, spectacular dysfunctions. And it's in the news cycle. People have even compared it. Not just conspiracy theorists, not fringy types, but Normieville is talking about leave the world behind, coming to life with all these planes falling. And then you had Taylor Swift, of course, flying famously, the most anticipated flight of all time when she went from Tokyo to the Super Bowl. And this was shortly after the discovery of Amelia Earhart's plane. And they said, oh, by the way, she's related to Taylor Swift. So this was one other example, because they said that Amelia Earhart was the Swift of her era. So there's about half a dozen iconic females who died tragically, who've been associated with Swift, Princess Diana being one of them. And like Princess Diana, Swift and her family are pursued by paparazzi. They're stalked. And the stalking thing is a big part of it. Right after the Super Bowl, I was watching it on Amazon, the next thing that played was some TV show called uh, Tracker. And her whole thing was she's being tracked, her airplane's being tracked. So there's a build-up here is what I'm saying. The Princess Diana connection that they've made. There's a build-up here suggesting that this is going to be some kind of a celebrity Diana goddess sacrifice, thus the obsession with the number 13, which was widely talked about, even mainstreamed. And I think that would correlate to Princess Diana, the 13 lunar months, hitting the 13th pole. So we've been waiting for the sacrifice. Anyway, my point of it is, it would be poetic if her plane crashed, and the right wing will blame it on DEI. That's what I'm saying. She'll be like the example, like the greatest example of why we can't lower our standards and betray the meritocracy for PC reasons. So that's how I, that's how I would write it. 
if I was going to write her off the world stage. And that that's just tip of the iceberg. And there, this is not something that I, we call a prediction, but it's just inherent in the story, in the world stage persona of Taylor Swift as she's been characterized and presented before uh, the world. So we're not reaching, we're not cherry picking, we're not using calculators to come up with anything. We're just reading the story. And yeah, it is a fact. She's being compared to Earhart, to Marilyn Monroe, and uh, you know, a slew of other uh, iconic singers or celebrities who died too young. Alright, let's continue here. Just glad that's not the current thing. I was having Taylor Swift fatigue. But nothing happened at the Super Bowl, despite all the predictions of, of nukes and so many... Th oh, the, the next date is this, by the way. The next major prediction date is 4-8, which is the eclipse date. And I'm seeing a lot of people making predictions. And one of the things I've ruled out is gematria or days between events and the numbers there in any way being capable of predicting the future. I, I think that's sort of like, I think I figured it out, it's the Texas sharpshooter fallacy, but it would work like this. If you memorized Revelation in the Bible, you memorize it verse for verse, and you wanted to have a doomsday fire and brimstone sermon, you could watch CNN and Fox, and you could probably connect quite well in, in a really compelling narrative all the various verses to what's happening that day. And predicting the end of the world has been going on for some time. And I think there's a couple of reasons why it works, but one of them it has to do with um, you know, cognitive bias and this morbid desire for things to end, which a lot of people actually have. G33 says he's had Tay-Tay fatigue a while ago. I didn't even listen to any of her music. I was like, I gotta study this because this is what the mass mind is looking at. Am I missing anything? And I believe I got through about four minutes of a four-hour compilation of her greatest hits, and I was just like, okay, not for me. But, you know, we were looking at a PR stunt, and you can't say it wasn't a psychological operation, perception management, contrived. Like, this is obviously true, which raises some questions. Like, why was it that when they chose to focus on her, her BFF next to her, what was that one's name? The one um, Ice Spice with the upside-down cross, making the Hail Satan hand signs with the chalice, and then Swift is taking the drink. Like, yeah, there's some weird stuff going on as usual, but it was a psychological operation. But interestingly, the Pentagon comes out and they're like, it wasn't a PSYOP. It's not a PSYOP. I'm like, well, if you look at the definition, it actually is. PR stunts and PSYOPs are pretty much the same thing. My point of it is, they mainstreamed the word PSYOP to ridicule it, to make it look ridiculous, and they succeeded. They've taken that term, they've taken fake news, and they've divested them of any meaning whatsoever. G33 says, narrative weaving. Exactly. Weaving spiders come not here. That's the slogan there at the Bohemian Grove. And that's what they're doing. They're, they're weaving webs. They're telling stories. And the stories are only intelligible if you look at this as uh, painting the zeitgeist. As in, it's being told on multiple fronts. Predictive pro uh, programming, the news media, the news stories, aligning with the media events. Like, let's look at Leave the World Behind as not just a movie, but as a media event. That was a spectacle. It was highly anticipated because it was produced by the Obamas. It comes out on 1122, the JFK Association. 
zip code 11963, 1963, JFK Association. But that movie comes out, and right as it does, a number of situations from the movie immediately happen in the real world. From the planes falling to the Tesla roadsters being recalled for the autopilot thing. But there are numerous examples. You know, even with the the blackout, whenever something's happening, people immediately reference that movie. Now think about this. Why do people, and I'm talking Normieville, why do people in Normieville reference a Netflix movie to describe what they're experiencing? This is the same thing that we saw after 9-11. It was just like Independence Day, is what you saw. People were talking about these the 9-11 the as though it was a movie, and they, their frame of reference was movies. So I'm just pointing this out that uh, predictive programming is not mystical. It's not bad guys telling you what they're going to do for some sadistic, sadistic reason. No, it's, it's actually about repetition in propaganda. It's about acclimating you to ideas, getting you to accept scenarios in advance, drilling in your mind these neuro pathways, so that when they present the fake thing on the news, it goes by without any question. You'll just accept it. And one of the things that separates the skeptics among the off-world stagers, those of us here, and the non-skeptical alt-media, is they don't understand predictive programming. Mainstream media says it doesn't exist. It's coincidence. But alt-media says it's some kind of um, some kind of occult practice that foreshadows bad things. But they assume the bad things are happening. And so that's an important distinction. No one else has really hammered down that, extinct, that distinction. Maybe it's not considered important to anybody, but I think it's key here. Because the second you take something like predictive programming and you put it into the realm of, of uh, AI or synchronicity or random, you're removing from the equation the perpetrators of the psychological warfare, which are the media, who aren't reporting and aggregating information for your edification, but they're in fact formulating a worldview. So they're not informing you, they're conforming you. And that is how media works. People like Brainwash E, Mike Rothschild, would never understand that. And then you have to deal with the, the arrogance of the true believer, who have numbers on their side. Reality agrees with them. And we were in the Gilded talking about movies, and I think one of them I mentioned was uh, Lee, no, it was uh, In the Mouth of Madness, John Carpenter. In the Mouth of Madness is, it's a, I think it's funny, it's kind of deadpan, but the whole concept of it relates to what we speak about here. And the idea is, one author becomes so popular that he outsells the Bible, that his fiction and the movie versions coming, that he basically hijacks the hive mind. It's the most interesting thing in the world. Think about how when uh, like a 9-11 happens or a big event, everybody focuses on it and it allows the powers that be to kind of reshape or reset our reality, reestablish the rules. Well, in this case, in The Mouth of Madness, the author is able to more or less hijack the collective psyche. And what he does with it is he turns the world into um, kind of a nightmare scenario. But it's, you know, it's fiction, it's science fiction, but I think you could look at his books, the author Sutter Kane's books, as like a metaphor for a Bible 
or a radicalizing holy book or ideology or the mainstream media. The idea that if everybody filters their worldview through the same fictional construct, the same parameters, then the person who writes the rules has a great deal of control over what follows. And I think that's kind of what the movie gives away. And at the end, it, it, I'm not going to give you any spoilers, actually. You could probably find it on YouTube for real, but I mean, for, uh, for free. But it's, it kind of confronts this idea of uh, reality being merged with fiction and how reality is really going to be dictated by what the consensus can be made to believe. And things have never been more uh, fluid and subjective than they are right now. You know, objectivity doesn't exist today. It's a joke. Look at objectivism. Ayn Rand's philosophy, her objectivist club, the forum, you have a lot of people who live as objectivists and they talk about objectivist issues, but they automatically believe everything they see on TV. They don't have any kind of disagreement with the consensus worldview. Well, the consensus worldview is far from objective. It's quite literally a subjectivist perspective that's been augmented with what we can prove, what we can demonstrate with what we know to be things that don't exist. Contemporary superstitions, lies, myths. So you cannot be, philosophically, you know, you cannot be an objectivist because you have this problem when you accept the authority of the screen. It's like a leap of faith. It's a lot of trust. And I remember reading Rand's books and it seemed like they were really enthralled with the space program. They said, man's reason has triumphed over the Dark Ages and religious and, and uh, collectivism and individualism and capitalism brought about these um, developments. Like, they really made a big deal, the objectivists, about the space program representing the triumph of, the, of Apollo over Dionysus, the rational, logical, reasonable mind over the mind, of the, the unconscious, the subconscious, the feelings-based. And I'm like, wait, wait, you have the right idea, but what does it mean if the space program is fake, if it's a big deception? What it means is, of course, everybody's reality compromised. Joined by Flatlander Montgomery, thank you for joining. How come there hasn't been a big movement of people who've become skeptical of NASA suddenly going back to NASA? Like, I used to not believe in the space station, I laughed at the moon landing, and I poked fun at their blooper reels and all the kooks who pretend to go to outer space, but now I believe it. Like, nobody's done that. Nobody's done a 180. Why is that? It's because flat Earth isn't a belief, necessarily, but it's a step towards agnosticism. It's a step away from belief. Like, oh, I can't believe this, but... All I know is this, and I don't have any information. So it's actually a move towards agnosticism, which is a step toward honesty. Ooh, Buzzing Frets says, only Joe Rogan. Yeah, only Joe Rogan was able to mentally contort himself. Like, bending over backwards and putting his head somewhere. Like, he managed to pull that off. Or he's lying. Tomonoid 3 says they gave him a cool jacket. Yeah, they gave him that that astronaut it's like a onesie I think isn't it a onesie I don't think it was just a jacket and a literalist says once you go flat you never go back I haven't met any because what you're doing is you're just 
being a little honest about one thing. You've never seen the curve. Anybody who says they've seen the curve is a lying curvert. That's just true. Unless there's some special quality about your eyes, different from everybody else, you can't see the curve. People used to just say it. And look, we've, we've actually made, I think those of us who have talked about this have kind of elevated the conversation. We no longer tolerate those types of claims as evidence. It's visual hearsay. And people who say stuff like that don't like being called out as liars. So I call them curverts. But the same people who bend our news, I believe, have bent everything, including our horizon. But when somebody says everybody knows, that's an argument from consensus. And the consensus agreed upon reality is the one we get through the screen. And every video you see on TV has a very bendy, curvy horizon. You know, I was thinking about on the moon. The moon is purported to be a quarter the size of the Earth. If you were on the moon, would the horizon be flat or would it be curved? Well, obviously, from the human perspective, it would be flat. You wouldn't see any curve. And yet, you can find quotes where Buzz Aldrin, Neil Armstrong, they're talking about being, is Buzz, was talking about being on the moon. And he said it was disorienting because the horizon was bending, that it was curved. Like, that's just ridiculous. But one thing that I think works to really dispel the myth of a moon landing is you can't find the moon in any other photography from the ground level. The stage that they're on doesn't go that far. You don't have a moonscape. How come you cannot see a moonscape? You know, you look out into the horizon, you got all this terrain, there's no moonscape. It's just a 7-Eleven parking lot sized area. I'm very disappointed in the uh, moon landing footage and I think one of the reasons why they haven't gone back in 50 years, it's because they can't, can, they can't create a convincing enough illusion to fool today's audiences. We are more sophisticated than the people who bought into the original. I put this article out the other day, The World Stage Metascript and the News Bent Reality, The PSYOP Entertainment Complex Explained. People who don't know that there is no distinction between entertainment, news, or infotainment, and every other form of uh, media, including education, including the political soap opera, people who don't know it's all connected um, are forever going to be in the dark. You know, to, to really see the worldview as such, the world stage as a model, you have to look at how everything is truly integrated and monolithic. There's no disagreement. It's not like Russia is against America. No, come on. Like some people think, oh, America faked the moon landing to trick the Russians. If that were true, the Russians would have exposed it. But that's what they say. They'll say, if it's the people who don't believe that it was faked. Well, no, that's assuming they're not on the same team. And they don't seem to share the same special effects departments. Like I would say China, I looked at their space program, their space station, and they're like 10 years behind NASA on the visual effects. I was kind of surprised. I was surprised at how terrible it was. I expected China's space station to have like next level graphics and special effects, and they would phase out the ISS, but... No, they have not made any market improvements. you got to compare the space station to the movie ISS, and you'll see what I'm talking about. I added news-bent reality to the Autohoaxer 101 glossary. This is the internal concept of the world as steered by news media narratives, a reference to the 1968 play Newsbenders.
All right, this is a quote from Leave the World Behind. There's a section of the movie called The Curve, and one of the characters is talking about what we talk about. You know, I say you can discern via analyzing predictive programming and repetitive messaging what's coming up in broad strokes and sometimes in more specific strokes, uh, uh, specific terms. Like, for example, we can look at the advent of space junk or the theme of the West burning. We've been noticing these various uh, stories that have been inserted into our frame of reference. I've been really fascinated by the connections between uh, xenophobia and alien phobia and vaxophobia. I think there's a correlation between all three as they all pertain to invaders crossing borders and the right wing opposes all three and the left wing embraces them. Like there's, there are many stories you can see, many narratives being spun all the time. But in Leave the World Behind, this protagonist, one of the main characters, he said that you have to understand the patterns that govern the world. You have to learn how to read the curve. It can help you see the future. It holds steady. It promises harmony. It inches up or down. You know it means something. So he's talking about reading the curve. And he knew that it was time to get into the bunker. Like he knew something was coming. And I look at this reading the curve as reading the news bent reality. It's something analogous to this. All right, let's see. We're joined by Thirst for Truth, P. Trippa. Thank you for joining. Let's uh, open phones, 505-349-0420. Okay, so we talked about the man on fire, direct energy weapon attacks or not, I don't know. We're coming up on the 33rd anniversary of the Rodney King beating on 3-3, which, again, I talked about last year because we had the Terry Nichols beating, which was compared to Rodney King. And Martin Luther King Jr.'s daughter was involved in the protests. And they had a eulogy at Mason Temple where King gave his last speech. There's a lot of stuff with the Rodney King and the name King kind of pep peppered all over the psyops last year. Also, Rodney King was hit 33 times with the baton. So the 33rd anniversary is um, in a few days. Just notable. And when I'm looking at these things, it's always about stories. Like, like for example, the reason why they recreated the Rodney King beating to correlate with Terry Nichols. You know, well, why would they do that? Well, because it was effective, and they're telling a story. They're repeating a story, manufacturing outrage. It's how the info war is waged. Uh, Putin threatens to nuke the West after accusing NATO of planning to strike Russia in a rambling speech. He boasted about how they have weapons that could defeat the West on their own territory. So there's that. I'm still wondering if they have something in, in mind for nuking Gaza. And this is based on the movie White Noise with a big mushroom cloud with a toxic airborne event, which was followed by a real-life version of what happened in the movie with the train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio. But the big mushroom cloud, Palestine, I think there may be some foreshadowing, and that was, uh, of course, white noise. But again, uh, Putin's been pointing his Satan rockets at us for some time. You know, I, I often refer to Donald Trump as a bad Don, a reference to Revelation 911, a badin. 
the Destroyer, Apollyon, etc. But I, I refer to him as a bad Don because, of course, he's like this bad Mafia Don. He's been compared many times to a Mafia Don. Well, recently, Donald Trump compared himself to El Capone. Remember this, I've been indicted more than Alphonse Capone, Mr. President. Do you know who that is? Even the president just said, I do. Scarface, Al Capone. If he had dinner with you and he didn't like the smile in your face, he thought you were mocking him by smiling, you would be dead before you got home and said hello to your wife. And Alphonse Capone, I have, I got it. All right, anyway, Donald Trump comparing himself to Al Capone. Fascinating. I've been following some of his speeches, and, and he's being criticized for a lot of the things that he says. He goes kind of, kind of off the rails, but uh, nothing out of the ordinary. I mean, he doesn't have the same shock value that he did. Or maybe people just aren't as shockable. Like, did you all see Ye with Ice and Sori walking around Paris? And she's basically just doing it nude now. You know, it's fashion. They wear a little bit of cloth, but mostly she's nude. And, and he's dressed in, like, a full body suit, just covered in black with a black mask and I don't have any real criticism of it I'm not involved in fashion or any of that but it's like he has consistently been trying to elicit some kind of response and it's like nobody cares like that nudity isn't shocking like if Ye wanted to be shocking he should go out nude on a leash with his girlfriend walking him around like that might actually do something but anyway uh, Trump is no longer all that shocking in fact they just pulled him off of the ballot in Illinois. This is the, uh, what is it, the short attention span economy. It's just getting increasingly difficult to hold people's attention. The next big thing, though, this and this is something that also ties into Leave the World Behind, the eclipse thing coming up on 4-8, the Great North American Eclipse. And look, it's like 40 days out. Texas County declares state of emergency ahead of the Great North American Eclipse. Bell County issues emergency declaration. The surprising reason why a Texas County issued a disaster declaration. Bell County declares local state of disaster to help prepare for the Great American Eclipse on 4-8. So what is going on here? State of emergency. Um, Judge in Bell County declared it ahead of the solar eclipse. So there's all kinds of stories about this right now getting out there. Solar eclipse occurs when the moon passes over the Earth, blah, blah, blah. Here we go. April 8th, it'll cross North America, passing through Texas at 1.27 p.m., ending in Maine, 3.35 p.m., Eastern Daylight Time. Due to the rare event taking place, combined with the fact that Bell County is considered to have some of the best views, they've decided a local disaster declaration was needed to warn the residents of the potential dangers ahead with the influx of visitors for the celestial event. And they believe that the numbers will go from 400,000 to 800,000. So there's going to be a flood of people going out there. And that's what they are preparing for. And that's in Bell County. And this was sort of referenced in behind or leave the world behind in two ways one you had the map of the united states with the x across it and then two you had the friends matthew perry connections with his eclipse death and his character's birthdays actually on 4 8 
This was sent to me by Mike Kim on Twitter. Always wanted to create your own internet radio station, but found... This is something about how you can create the appearance of somebody being on fire. This is the Game of Thrones stunt team, how they set themselves on fire. And this might offer some explanation about that guy who just casually burned himself the other day. Game of Thrones set a world record for the most stunt people on fire in one shot. And it looks like it hurt. A lot. Can't Hollywood just use CGI? Each year, dozens of movies and TV shows feature scenes where... Fascinating behind-the-scenes look at how you can uh, set people on fire, how it's done safely, and we just watch a guy set himself on fire and it looked kind of fake, it looked like CGI, but maybe it doesn't have to be CGI, and I think this might offer some explanation for it. Uh, then a couple years ago, we had that individual setting himself on fire in front of the White House with a USA shirt making a statement, some 33-year-old. I mean, what's with 33-year-olds? Wasn't it this year, like right before 9-11, some 33-year-old fell into the 9-11 reflecting pool? Like a 9-11 jumper. 22 years after the fact. Erica Creech said, a 25-year-old active duty made a very profound protest statement. I try to see if he's a real person. Yeah, we got his name. Yeah, he was 25. He wasn't 33. Uh, my take on it is basically uh, fake until proven real. Opposing genocide in Gaza, U.S. Air Force soldier live stream self-immolation in front of Israeli embassy. This is why I say that IPR is mind war inoculation. If this individual had been listening, you think he would have set himself on fire for a bunch of hyper-realistic surgical training dolls? Rubber, fake dead kids for dolls? For propaganda props? I don't think so. His last words were free Palestine. And so looking at this image and Palestine, the fire, the fires in Texas, uh, you know, I kind of think this might be part of a bigger story. I think it's a prop. So is this fakeable is the question. Is it fakeable? Well, if it's not CGI, it looks real, but that, that doesn't mean it's real. And that's another thing, too. We're watching a magic show. When you're watching a magic show and you don't know how a trick works, like, I don't know how he cut that woman in half. Do you assume magic? Or do you, you know what I mean? Do you assume it's real? No, no. You, you, you have to recognize when, when you're watching a magic show that you're dealing primarily with an illusion. And I think the bias for Normieville and most of Trutherville is to see something on the news and their bias is it's real unless proven fake. They don't look at it as a magic show presenting you with a trick, which is how I look at it. So for me, this is fake until proven real. If you have any evidence that this is real, please provide it. Um, I haven't looked deeply enough into it to be 100%, but I don't know any more than anybody else does. And so my default position is fake until proven real, especially if it's an extraordinary claim, and that was pretty extraordinary, you know, you could hold a lighter to your hand for five seconds and someone starts screaming. This guy was just calmly burning there for however long they uh, let, let it go. My point is, there's no reason to assume it's real until proven such. And you have to be fully aware of the various types of special effects. And so they hired some Game of Thrones-like 
Um, they brought in some effects from someone who might have, you know, some Hollywood specialist. And these are Hollywood special effects. They use special effects in the news media. All right, let's continue here. What was his name again? His name was Bushnell. Burning Bush idea. Interesting. Yeah, Aline Dion says, he stood for way too long shouting things when he should have been in agony. That's what I thought, too. And I don't think it was real because I don't have any information to substantiate that. I don't make any arguments on the screen. All right, let's continue with that. The, the one in London, though, uh, I would say looked real, but I don't think that guy died. All right, let's see. Got a comment from Ash Rafi who says, I have never seen a Gematria agent being even slightly correct. They always use far fetched words to make a connection that was never there. Yes, that's kind of what we've been talking about right now. And, and uh, I think it's important to understand how these things work the fallacious reasoning. Because the mainstream media uses all the same tricks. Trump. Wins in Michigan, race called 66.6% to Haley, 28.7. Uh, NASA says there's a small chance a U.S. spacecraft could collide with a Russian satellite. If it occurs, there will be significant debris at 373 miles. Just like the movie which was about Russia fighting America on board the ISS. Terrible movie, by the way. I was going to write a review, but the movie was too terrible. The only thing I can really say about the ISS movie, there was not one loose hair in the movie. Because they know that is NASA and, and Hollywood and the PSYOP entertainment complex. Uh, they know that if they presented a movie version of the ISS that looked realer than the real one, there would be a problem. Ollie Goering says that fire got a weird shade of orange. Hmm. Yeah, I thought so too. It looked like Game of Thrones special effects. That's what it looked like to me. And if it wasn't, and if it was real, I just have to say, he got duped. Like, you know who's responsible for this? Um, whoever writes these media scripts that get people so agitated, they can't tell real from fake and they respond to it. This is interesting. So Elon Musk had noticed that Alex Jones had called him a fraud. And Elon Musk was like, wow, he was like really offended by it. And Alex Jones says, Elon, this is a fake headline. I never called you a fraud. My point of it is the deep faking is so pervasive. And if you're not skeptical about extraordinary claims, you're going to be dragged into these ups and downs, these entanglements, the current thing of the day. So Elon Musk was sitting there crying because Alex said something mean, and then Alex spent the whole day trying to tell Elon it wasn't him, it was a deep fake. Well, maybe you should have been a little more skeptical before you reacted to Elon. So here's the thing that actually tricked him. Raw Story published something from a fake news site. Complete and total fraud. Alex Jones turns on Elon Musk. And Elon Musk says, what is Alex Jones complaining about? Neither of them had talked to one another. Musk was just reacting to a fake headline. So they got deep faked. 
Looks like assassination attempts and white powder might be the new swatting. Assassination attempt on Tucker Carlson, thwarted in Russia. Okay, here we go. This is the letter I referenced earlier. This was sent to Donald Trump Jr. How many lives will be ruined before the psychopath Donald is silenced? Lee Harvey Oswald's grandson must complete his contract. And let's see, it, uh, it just it's a pretty mean letter. It looks kind of fake. And I don't buy this for a second. I don't think that Donald Trump Jr. would be opening a letter and then that powder would just spill all over the place. I think this is very fakeable. You know, wait, wait for some of the other alt-right types who usually get swatted to come out with this, the white powder stuff. I think one of uh, the judges in Trump's trial also got targeted with that. Okay, so the guy who burned himself for 30 seconds before he was engulfed in flames yelling free Palestine was Aaron Bushnell. Michael says, everything they promote is fake. Put a cigarette lighter on someone's hand for five seconds, they'll pass out. Yeah, that was 30 seconds. Engulfed. Okay, continuing here. Uh, the death of Jacob Roth's child. And I think that was the same day as the guy setting himself on fire. All right, moving on here. Going through my notes on minds.com slash infinite plane society. Okay, so Q and honors are going crazy because Donald Trump mentioned that John F. Kennedy is next door. They're so used to hearing dog whistles. They hear something. We have to get out. That they want to hear, and they go wild over it. But I'm going to play this anyway. Do any of you hear the same thing? Apparently, many people are taking from this that John F. Kennedy is next door to Trump. And vote. We have to win by big margins in Iowa. As I said, I got the largest margin in history by double. And New Hampshire, the same thing. We had the most votes in history. More than John F. Kennedy. Think of it. He's right next door. We got many more. Thousands and thousands of... He's right next door. John F. Kennedy's next door. Interesting. For those who are desperate for a hit of hopium, there you go. Okay. This is fascinating. This is from a book called Failure is Not an Option. This is from the Apollo flight director, Gene Kranz. In the late 1960s, our simulation technology had progressed to the point where it became virtually impossible to separate the training from actual missions. The simulations became full dress rehearsals for the missions down to the smallest detail. The simulation tested out the crew's and the controller's responses to normal and emergency conditions. It checked out the exact flight plan, mission rules, and procedures that the crew and controllers would use for a later flight. The simulations were so real that no controller could discern the difference between the training and the real mission. That's an interesting little bit of insight, and that's late 60s. And I think it's entirely plausible that the people in Houston staring at their computer screens talking to the astronauts have no clue. Like, I don't believe, like, for example, they'll say, there's no way they faked the moon landing because there were 400,000 contractors involved and no, no way 400,000 people could keep a secret. No, that's not how it would work. 
399,000 would be in the dark. They wouldn't know. And similarly here, they're admitting that there's a point where if you're in the control room, you wouldn't know the difference if you're talking to somebody in space or only pretending. It's all about simulation. Lean Dion says, this explains why the NASA computer room goes off in a hug and scream frenzy. Yes, because they believe it's real. For them, it's a movie. It's really intense. So they're sitting there. They're watching the thing. They're watching the, the docking or whatever it is. They're watching the launch. And if it succeeds, you know, it's really intense. Like, oh, it could blow up. A lot's riding on this. It's super intense for them. And then when it happens, they're elated because they really believe it. This, I, I think this is also a part of it. If you were to, I think, if you were to have people in the know, they wouldn't be able to fake it. They'd be cynical. They wouldn't be serious. But these are true believers. And I think useful stooges are much better sales people for this type of thing. True believers. All right, let's continue here. Cupstar says, when Q started, I was calling it a catch net for disillusioned. These decoders are somewhat similar, steering people away from meaningful things by blasting out their pseudo-Christian drivel. A catch net for pattern recognizers. Keep them in the shallow end of pop numerology. I've been collecting a lot of quotes here and commentary on what we're looking at with a lot of these strange predictions that I don't think mean anything. You know, like, for example... Well, I, we went down this trail the other day, and the reason why we're doing so, of course, is we're examining the various aspects of Trutherville and, and what constitutes the alt-media, and just pointing out how much of it is likely um, there to keep you running in circles, there to keep you plugged in. Officials warn residents in... Elriah Township, Ohio, to stockpile supplies and stay home during the total eclipse in April. Now, what is all this eclipse stuff? Now, that phone outage that was AT&T, right, like last week, they said that was from a Class X, that was a Class X solar flare. You know, Disease X, Class X solar flare, the X of the eclipse. There's something up with that, and it seems to be building. I found some other interesting things as well. This is kind of for later, I suppose. It has to do with uh, the, the Q mythos of the 10 days of darkness, because this was actually something that was hyped up in November. There were many people saying, oh, this Obama movie means there's going to be a blackout. And one of the things that these online prophets are constantly referring to is this 10 days of darkness, which they want. It's part of QAnon lore. The storm begins with 10 days of darkness. Uh, the advent of this period is breathlessly awaited by Q's followers to this very day. Well, it turns out that the 10 days of darkness story comes from something else called the victory of light that came out in the summer of 2017, before Q. And the Victory of Light is this story that basically tells the same thing. It's called the event. It's like the storm. And it was basically grafted onto the Q thing, but it involves temporary bank closures, 
the emergency broadcast system disclosing all of the Cabal's mass arrests, liberation of the planet from dark forces, the release of Tesla technologies, new financial system put in place, first contact and ascension for some beings. But this is part of the Great Awakening uh, scenario. And this is before the Great Awakening, months before. People are digging into it. And I like to kind of trace all this stuff. It's fascinating, really, to watch this, this uh, doomsday cult that just has emerged and, and become sort of a Frankenstein's monster of a religion. But when you look into its components, you can see that this is a really well-integrated, government-manufactured uh, religious cult. Erica Creech says, the article I heard was about nine of us, seven towns with that name will be in the path, and it's associated with repentance and an eclipse. Yes. Skyfish says, hey Tim, did you see the mass UFO footage during the 91 eclipse in Mexico? Stay home, mass arrival, watch your TV, not the sky. Right. Watch your phone. Watch your TV. Because that's where they can AVR, they can augment your reality with something that's not really there. And I think that's the objective here. If nobody's looking at the meatverse and they're all referencing the metaverse, they can all be tricked. And that's where this is headed. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Leave the World Behind is an anagram for Behold the End War Live. And the whole thing was about the character wanting to, uh, the, the Rose, wanting to watch the final episode of Friends to see how it ends but it's about perceiving it all through the screen. Isabel Ann says, I saw the Great Eclipse of 2017. I don't remember so much hype about it then. It was being hyped in uh, truther circles. A, a lot of people were hyping it. And I remember back then I was told that the beginning of this thing, which was like September of 2017, was the beginning of the tribulation. So like I've, I've heard this stuff before. And a lot of these people were Q adjacent, even pre-Q. Months before Q, I was being told about white hats. Someone made a point to try to tell me that I was being too negative by talking about conspiracies. And instead, I need to talk about pro-spiracies, where we imagine that there are good guys out there that just want to help us. It's a, it's a neat idea, but I don't need, I don't need a hopium. And most of the hopium addicts are just... These days, it's it's a sad sight. Hopium and nothing burgers leaves them all looking like breatharians. And there hasn't been any progress. Look, if you spent eight years in the, in the MAGA QAnon, waiting for the storm, numerology muck, like what could you have done with that time? I mean, just what a tremendous waste. Uh, by the way, I'm thinking about doing, well, not thinking, we are going to do it. I did a poll. 83.3% agreed it's probably a good idea. And what we're going to do, well, I asked, are you going to attend? And 83% said yes. 16% said probably. But in the morning, and this is the reason I started this live stream earlier, uh, I want to be in the office early in the mornings before anybody gets here. So we'll be live here in the mornings for the IPS Morning D program, and immediately we'll jump into Discord. And I'll put the link in the notification. So if you want to talk, if you want to get into the chat, if you just want to go deeper into anything or you have more to add, 
uh, this will be the perfect opportunity. It's a group chat and it's easy to use, the app's easy to, to navigate. Alright, moving on here. Michael Letts has put together a lot of a lot of uh, connections to the X thing. Generation X, Planet X, Elon Rockets, Space X, Twitter's X, Tesla Model X, New Virus Disease X, and then yes, the Class X Solar Flare. Fascinating. But what happens on 4.8 if there's an eclipse and nothing else happens? What of all these what, what are all these prophecies and predictions? What then? Now you could say, I mean, look, there is a lot of predictive programming suggesting a civil war. And there's a movie about a civil war coming up. Joined by Mom with Sons. Thank you for joining. We're going to be earlier from now on. Basically, probably 6 to 7 p.m. Mountain Time. And then in the mornings will be however early I'm up and running. And then immediately after, we'll be doing our Discord. And that was always very productive. I mean, we were always centered around the 24-7 Discord, but we had like 600 people in the server, and we were kind of knocked down from that. So I thought, well, you know, I've tried jumping back in there, but there's never enough people to really have any conversations. But if I connect it with a live stream and we do it right after, uh, we'll have 5 or 10 or 15 or more people showing up, so... You can look forward to that tomorrow. Uh, have you been following the story of Lakin Riley? Lakin Riley, 22-year-old, killed by an illegal immigrant, kidnapped on 2-2-2, killed during a jog on the University of Georgia campus, 22-year-old nursing student. The body of Riley, 22, was discovered in a wooden area in Athens, ooh, Athens, Georgia. Very interesting. Um, because the, the reason I, I bring this up is I, I first kind of ignored it. You know, I'm always like, you know, this has got to be fake until proven real. There's usually some agenda attached to it. Athens kind of stands out here because I've been looking into the story of when I saw that she was 22. I'm like, wait, this is like Gabby Petito. If you remember the story of Gabby Petito, she was 22. There's a story of her kidnapping. It was a big outrage. And she was found on 922, the beginning of Libra, which is the scales, which is when we go into the dark side of the year. It's, it's what in the mythology is represented as Hades. So the spring maiden, Virgo, is taken to hell, or Hades, into the underworld for a period of time. And then she emerges... Um, later, but the point of it is it's this annual uh, cycle, and it's just the personification of the, the seasons, but Persephone is the Virgo kidnapped by Hades, taken into the underworld. And so kidnapping is a huge part of it, but when Gabby Petito was kidnapped, there was a lot of symbolism around her, which seemed to correlate her with Virgo. And the number 22 was, you know, was her age, but it was just one of these things we were picking up on was like, well, what is this consistent theme here? And now we're looking at another 22-year-old kidnapping story. Now, does this have any connection to Gabby Petito? Well, interestingly, uh, this one was kidnapped on 222, which is the day of Pluto or Hades' return. 
and we had talked about this the symbolism of the dynamic between Hades and and Persephone the kidnapper and the one taken into the underworld and so the fact that she was kidnapped on this date does seem to have a tie-in with Pluto slash Hades and the underworld and of course her body having just been discovered it's like creating this major outrage uh, so how this ties into the bigger story We've been talking about in our server here about the mystery religions, which is what we're really looking at when we're talking about occult secret societies, and how they were practicing what they called their mysteries, their, these um, dramas. So the basis for the mysteries can be found in the myth concerning the kidnapping of Persephone, the god, and uh, this is by Hades, god of the underworld, as told in the Homeric hymns. Anguished by this event, and wishing to persuade persuades Zeus, the king of the gods, to allow the return of her daughter. Demeter causes famine and drought across the land. Eventually, Zeus permits Persephone to rejoin her mother. But this is part of a series of you know, rituals or plays, rites, and ceremonies. And this is a, a, a very um, prominent myth within this system. So I'm just noting that we're looking at these world stage dramas with multiple levels. And the mythic side, the symbolism, the archetypes, usually tell another layer of the story. Wayne Dion says, Lakin's skull head was disfigured reportedly. Yeah, like here's an example of these things that seem to be astrologically timed. We're in Aquarius when Justin Moan chops his father's head off and, and we see the, the head. And, you know, it was grotesque. It was probably uh, rubber you know it looked like this actual like rubber prop but there's this other story about and this is from the astro-theological astro story about Aquarius suggesting that Aquarius is the correct celestial origin of John the Baptist and the story is basically that the decapitation of John the Baptist is somehow represented in the astrological story above as we um are looking at the position of Aquarius. Let me see if I can find it here. But there's some kind of a connection between the beheading of John the Baptist and Aquarius. And so we're in Aquarius and we see this. Here we go. In religious mythology, the beheading of John the Baptist is also yeah, correlated with the constellation Aquarius. This is from Star Myths of the World. My point of it is, though, um, we're looking at this very um, archetypal image, you know, somebody holding a severed head, and it's in Aquarius. And I'm like, okay, there's sometimes various seeming layers to the mythology. And one thing we can point out as objective is that their mythology, these stories, the mysteries, which seemingly are portrayed through the mass media, which is the replacement, which has supplanted all the previous churches and religions, is that they are uh, portraying these still, their mysteries, on an esoteric level through media events. Elephant Tusk says, what's the most surreal dream you've ever had? I don't know if I can recall any. Like, I really don't recall my dreams. I haven't in a long time. Let's see what else here. And, and, and also, I, I, um, I kind of had a dream, not a dream, more of like a, I was laying around for like a week with my fever 
like 102, my hot skull. And I wasn't really dreaming, but I was like kind of visualizing, I guess. Maybe it was a little feverish, but I was thinking about the future of this channel and where it's all going. And I don't know if the fever um, may have influenced my thinking on it, but I, I think what we have here is ground zero for something very problematic, which could make for some very interesting times. G33 says, Aquarius holding the water jug under the arm like a head. Well, we're in the age of Aquarius, the flood. And I think the flood is happening, but the flood isn't water, it's information. It's not only just information, but it's a deluge of mis, dis, malinformation. Information without context. You know, you can find the truth about reality, every aspect of it. Like, all of the information you need to understand everything about existence is probably right here on X. Just log on to X and you can find it all. The problem is, there's no cohesion. It's not connected. It's incoherent. It's the sea of irrelevance. It's been drowned out. So you wouldn't be able to really articulate it in any way. We've gone from you know, scarcity of information to a glut. And the glut of information has rendered information meaningless. And this is why we have the current thing. Like the most important thing in the world for everybody at the same time. One minute it's some celebrity pop star love affair at a football game and the next minute it's Putin going to drop a nuke on us. And these things aren't considered to be more or less important than the other. Like, does it matter to anybody now more that Putin wants to nuke us than Taylor Swift is going to endorse Biden? Like, these things are equal. Maybe the Taylor Swift thing is actually weighing more. More as a, a factor in people's heads than what's going on with Putin and his nukes. Okay, here it is. The beheading of John the Baptist, or the cutting off of the head of the Baptist when he's in prison, is a rewrite of the Egyptian view of the head of Anubis, the constellation Aquarius, perceptually cut off above the horizon at midnight. So the constellation of Aquarius, which has been associated with John the Baptist, has its head cut off. Aquarius seen at Alexandria above the southern horizon traveling along the ecliptic with the head above the equator as though its head has been cut off. Matthew 14.10 Anyway, we had kind of loosely associated that with the beheading on that that Justin Moan psyop. Justin Osmone, as some have said, thinking that he looks like me. And he may be. There may be some character, some crisis actor they carted out to make us look crazy. Elephant Tusk says, Being sane in an insane world can make you insane, a.k.a. the one who flew over the cuckoo's nest. Right. Well, I, I referenced the movie In the Mouth of Madness, and there's a point where this character says, well, right now reality happens to agree with you, but what happens when you know, it doesn't? And it's kind of fascinating to, to look at like 2020 in that context, about consensus agreement and about what it means to be sane in an insane world. But the thing we're doing here, because you know you got the mainstream liars, and then you have the alternative, the counter, but they're all insane. 
you know the only people who are truly in who are truly sane in the sense of uh, understanding the difference between the internal concept of the world and the real thing the ones who haven't been broken who haven't had the schizoid break are the perpetrators and the skeptics Wayne Dion says P. Diddy is the rap industry Epstein is the emerging current thing yeah I've seen a, some of that popping up here and there scandals all these scandals it is interesting though it's an insight if nothing else into how things work and we talk about secret societies all the time and I, I did hear some interviews on P. Diddy and how they arranged their business meetings at Turkish bathhouses and I'm like well that could be a way to uh, filter out and only bring in people of a certain frame of mind certain set of values makes perfect sense and when we're talking about secret societies we're just really talking about uh, people who are in the know based upon levels of either compromise or some sort of agreement non-disclosure agreements Isabel Ann says Diddy came to the shaman I was working for and I was told not to look him in the eyes hmm yeah I will have to look well we'll probably hear more about that soon but anyway my point is that there's sometimes you get these these indicators of what of how things might actually work and how secrets are kept and you know nothing would surprise me at this point all right moving on going through my feed at IPS Insider all right we're going through Nikki Haley says everybody thinks it's funny when Trump calls her a bird brain but the rest of the world doesn't this is a self own more about Donald Trump that he'll call the last remaining candidate bird brain or brain dead it says more about Donald Trump that everybody thinks it's funny that he acts this way I don't think the rest of the world thinks that's funny the rest of the world does unfortunately for Nikki Haley she doesn't realize how low-brow the world is and name-calling and playground taunts are what got Trump into the office in the first place that's what the people want you know I think people want World War three by the way or again from lead the world behind you have to understand the patterns that govern the world you have to learn how to read the curve it can help you see the future absolutely true oh by the way auto hoaxology 101 is now moving into paperback I've expanded it a little you know added some relevant important information and I expanded the lexicons um, definite a few more in the glossary rather it's been expanded but I decided to go paperback because I can buy four times as many for the same amount of money and I want to kick off this promotion because it is the promotion of auto hoaxology 101 which is not meant to sell a million copies it's not about generating revenue uh, necessarily it's really about having this consolidated body of ideas codified and attached to a quarantined group outside of Trutherville outside of the world stage and that's what we have to metastasize that's what we have to scale up but first we have to have this period of ideological quarantine and we are going to not wake people up I don't care about people who are sleeping uh, the normies have no attention span we don't need the people who are chasing current things uh, we are only working on 
consolidating and aggregating, the people have already figured things out at least 90% of the way. And we'll get most of our new off-world stagers from Trutherville. Uh, that's where most of them are. They're just gate-kept. But we're pulling the gates down. And that's what this book is going to do. And it's going to kick off as soon as I get the first uh, box of books in about a week. And anybody who's been waiting for a hardcover book, uh, the final copies that I'm going to be selling of hard copies um, that still need to go out are, be, are going to be arriving at the same time. So those orders will be fulfilled as well. Erica Creech says, reading the pitch is a baseball thing. Yeah, Jim Morrison used to say, reading the stitches on the fastball. Or sorry, Rush Morrison, Jimbo, no, Rushbow. No, sorry, Rush Limbaugh. He said, reading the stitches on the fastball. But that's what we're doing here. We're not making any kind of like prophetic guesses about when the world ends. My contention is it's not going to end. The infinite plan, the plan I have for what infinite plane society is going to eventually be in its entirety, it's a 30-year plan. I am not anticipating that any of this comes to a stop. There's not going to be a nuke. There's not going to be any kind of calamity. This is not going to end. I mean, good news, the world ended and you survived. It ended on 12-21-2020 with the conjunction of Jupiter-Saturn during the winter solstice, the Christmas star, first of which we've had probably like 2,000 years. There was a big reset sign. That's when the Great Reset started, but my point of it is the world ended, just like 2023 ended. It's all about cycles, and it never ends, which is good news and bad news. It's never going to stop unless people were to stop paying attention. That's really what it's about, if people were to unplug. But that's not going to happen in mass. The best we can hope for is to break away from the alt and mainstream ecosystem entirely, forming this parallel media and finding any of those who have already stepped away from the screen. Anybody who's socially distanced from the MSM and very suspicious of MSM+, Plus who haven't fallen into wokeism or hopium or who aren't in the political spectrum, you know, the political horseshoe, there's enough, I believe, to create an effect which will, you know, we want to have an avalanche effect and I think we can do that because I believe there's a huge vacuum as in the place where objectivism would be, and I'm not just talking about objectivist nerds, the place where uh, I would say reasonable people, reason, people who favor le reason over belief and superstition, atheism, for example. Atheism emerged at a time when man was already plugged into the new religion with a new god construct. So like objectivism, atheism has never really existed in a meaningful way. It's been attached to scientism, and they've thrown out spirituality and the soul along with this archaic god construct while replacing it with a new one. But my point is, that tendency, that trend, was a reflection of a certain portion of the population that want to move into reason, that want to move away from the Dark Age epistemologies. And it was more or less hijacked and subverted and plugged back into the dominant paradigm, which is just the old one dressed up with science fiction. 
But my point is, there's a vacuum. There's a vacuum for that um, philosophical critique, for skepticism itself, and it's just not being catered to. There's not a platform for skeptical media. There's not a platform for SIWAR-aware media analysis. It's not platformed. So my point is, we create the distinction, we create the break and allow it to metastasize organically. Like, I'm not the only person speaking on this. There's many others, but there are content creators who haven't even started yet, who will start with the right frame of reference once this thing begins snowballing. And I have a pretty good idea of where this could go. I'm mostly curious as to how it would be stopped. You know, what is the counter? And we've already seen examples of what I consider to be damage control, uh, pre-damage control. Elon Musk saying, I can't believe there are still people who think the news is real. Like, these are attempts to water down and diffuse what it is that we're actually bringing to the table. Going through comments. Ms. L says, the rest of the world doesn't give a F. They have their own dramas. Absolutely. Absolutely. They have to do dramatic psychological operations to get people to pay attention. But I'm not expending energy on the people who are happy. Like the blue pillars are happy. Why would I want to mess that up? People are happy with their religions. Why would I want to mess that up? Dewis and Paris says atheism became scientism. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, uh, the problem with it is, I, I think a lot of them, like the, a lot of the popular atheists, seem like they had reduced the religious impulse to a desire for meaning, and so they just attached it to science. And I don't think that rejecting religions or the paradigm of these various religious institutions means that you dispense with uh, the idea of a human soul as a starting point. And the soul doesn't exist. You know, According to the dominant paradigm, we are egotistical, over-evolved apes who can't accept the fact that there's no meaning to anything and that we're on this big ball falling through an abyss that's eventually going to be hit by a planet killer. Dewis and Paris says, media criticism may neutralize polarities, hence precipitating the true reset. Well, what I'm thinking is, is we're looking at a monopoly that nobody recognizes exists. And it's because we have all these distractions. We have factions. We have nations. We have the distinctions between the political parties that they're fighting over where you've got 99 issues that are being fought over with one thing they agree on. And it's that one thing that matters more than the 99. The consensus agreement on, for example, the space program transcends all the disagreements below. Space is a replacement heaven. doesn't matter if you're a Muslim, atheist, a Jew, a Scientol. You all believe in space. And that's all they need. But what we're doing is akin to atheism confronting a religion and God construct that we do not believe in. One that has been, I would say, instituted. You know, in a, in a strange way, I'm not saying this is a theocracy, but kind of weirdly, we are oriented around a God construct. And our wickedness is going to precipitate a flood if we don't appease our 
Gaia. I mean, it is in many ways a religious construct, a religious paradigm that has been disguised as something else. But to reject their God construct, and this is what I think the criticism of the globe is really about. It's not that I care if it's a sphere or not, or an oblate spheroid. It's really about they're showing you the world and its limits as a closed system. And just as I don't want to accept that because I don't like their evidence, I don't accept the mainstream media worldview because that's a closed system. And I know there's more to the world than what it portrays. They deride it as misinformation, conspiracy. If we're not reporting on it, it doesn't exist. Uh, I don't agree with that. It's that selectivity. And I think we've been given a worldview that is designed to constrain reality to parameters that limit us, as in we're controllable. And we're largely controllable through a knowledge disparity and the deep fake reality that we were all born into. Diana South says, nice art. Yes, if you like the art that you're seeing in any of the news, in any of these live streams, join the newsletter at ips.monster. And I include artwork pretty much every day. Lean Dion says, infinite meaninglessness, spinning into oblivion at a high speed. Yeah, this is where I disagree with them. It's like, nothing means anything. We are meat suits in a material world. Nothing's known for sure. It's all going to end at some point very soon. And uh, it's a very dismal view. But I take the view that maybe everything is meaningful, that maybe it's made out of meaning meaningful relationships between information and perceivers of such and that the perceivers are the light in the dark matter of existence that perceive it into being in some way as in we're participants in it in some sense but that meaning is intrinsic panpsychism is what i'm leaning toward and maybe even a bit of a i mean panpsychism would explain i think quite a bit that's kind of where the russian rocket pioneers were, were leaning. But the idea of everything being inherently meaningful uh, actually makes a lot more sense, at least from, from my lived experience. And ruling out the perceiver as anything but an object, as not part of a cybernetic system, is I think where they're going wrong here. And then as far as meaning and, and uh, purpose, um, I kind of think that there may be some basic light versus dark dynamic, some kind of duality here, intrinsic to everything. Like, I don't like the idea of moral relativism. I find that disgusting. And I do believe in, I do believe in evil. As in, not like a devil or something, but I think we can draw a line. I think we can point out what constitutes evil. As in, stuff that acts against the human soul, uh, things that are um, easily definable and I don't like to efface that and I also think that um, on some level there may be some kind of purpose and I think the purpose may have to do with um, transcendent beings not losing sight of their origin as they are embedded in the muck of a carnal existence I don't know for sure but I think that's the where, how it works but as far as everything meaning everything, okay, so if everything is meaning and information and our perception of it is an intrinsic part of the 
uh, reality coming into being. In other words, I don't think the universe exists. Like, if you took a snapshot of it, the dominant view is you got balls in space, you got balls of light, stars, you got all these galaxies out there, flat solar systems, flat ga galaxies, and a flat universe. Everything is scattered out there. Take a snapshot. And I'm suggesting that maybe it doesn't even exist until it's perceived. I mean, there's a, a linear trajectory from the past to the present, but the future, I, I think it's more or less, it comes into being and it only appears to be linear. It only appears to follow causality, past, present, future in a linear, logical way because of habit and how it's being steered by the rudder, which is the control system of, of establishing a dominant worldview. But I think if that were to break, I don't know. I have a few questions. Obviously, I don't have all the answers, but I'm just saying, like, I don't necessarily believe the universe exists until it's experienced. And if that sounds crazy, I kind of don't care, because I don't think it's any crazier than suggesting that we're just over-evolved egotistical apes trying to cope. Because I'm not trying to cope. I'm just trying to explain how, from the individual perspective, a synchronicity could occur that would suggest that things aren't following a specifically logical linear progression, what Carl Jung would call the a-causal connecting principle, the idea of uh, another way of of um, understanding, I guess, how things are related, that synchronicity uh, might be a mechanism uh, through which we access possibilities that may not be directly in front of us. But synchronicity implies some kind of communication between the perceiver and the, quote, universe. In other words, I think we might be embedded in some kind of a cybernetic system that it's not like you wish and it happens, but I do think there's a connection between intention, sentience, concentration, and the unfolding of events. All right, let's go through some comments. We've received 100 comments so far. Thank you all for commenting. And if you want to call in, phones are open. And if you want to join in on any of the conversations we have here, we have our Discord servers, which will be open starting in the mornings. Now, I don't get into paranormal or any of that stuff. However, I have been making a point to study the various magical philosophies that seem to undergird these various secret societies and their worldview. Like, I'm very interested in how John Dee saw the world. And there's some indication that even John Dee may have actually rejected the Copernican Revolution in favor of something else. And his something else seems more like simulation, or what I'm describing, than anything. Uh, John Dee's concept of the world had to do with this notion of a, a plane of existence, a square, with layers of... Um, uh, I guess density or layers of this realm which are inaccessible from the five sense meat suit like subtle layers higher planes of causality outside of the time and space where one is more um, interacting at an archetypal level fascinating stuff but his presupposition that we are more or less embedded in a realm that is uh, malleable to human will is the part that I find interesting. And his whole magical paradigm, and this has been much written about this, this Anakian magic is the 
basis for Western occultism. You know, you look at Aleister Crowley as, you know, the, the source for a lot of stuff, and he did amalgamate and synthesize a lot, but really you'd have to look back at John Dee as the godfather of Western occultism. And he's not just some fringe character. He coined the phrase British Empire. He was an advisor to Gerardus Mercator, or Mercator Projection, on the English voyages. He was the Queen's astrologer. So there's a lot there about this character John Dee. So I, I kind of find it interesting that such a pivotal historical figure would have a view of the world that has nothing to do with spinning balls, but suggests that we're in some type of realm in which we exist at multiple levels, but you have to ascend or transcend the here now. And that's what Crowley was about as well, which is why he had such an emphasis on yoga. Alan Smith's, hey folks, just tuned in, didn't get a notice. Sign up at ips.monster. But one other point, you know, we talk about these fringe ideas, you know, what is this place if it's not what they say? And I think these are fair questions to ask. And I say, I don't know. And the false explanation kills curiosity. And this is what I think separates the NPC type from those who look a little deeper. NPCs are comfortable with false explanations. They go with the gaslighting, nothing to see here, don't look behind the curtain. Just be Truman in your Truman show and never leave the stage. And I'm like more interested in asking the questions because I don't have answers. And if my questions are inconvenient, you know, too bad. Question marks haven't yet been ripped off of our keyboards, although it's probably going to happen, maybe even this year. Can they tolerate another year with people having access to question marks? Dewis Impera says, maybe it's more black and white, as in this death realm exists purely for the purpose of giving context to an otherwise deathless realm. That's consistent with the symbolism. You look at the black and the white, the duality of, of not only um, spirit and matter, but the various ways it's portrayed in the symbolism seems to suggest that uh, black would be correlated with death, specifically, and, of course, the white with light. And so light and ascension, and this is stuff we see in this meta-scripted story all the time, is consistently associated with the number 33, transcendence. Christ dying at 33, the 33 vertebrae Kundalini, Mach 33 to escape the material realm, you know, going 33 times the speed of sound to go to space. The idea of ascension and light or white is contrasted with the idea of uh, death, black, the grave, and gravity, and falling. So the falling and ascension. And the falling and the black and the grave in the, in the symbolism is often associated with the number 42, which is used by Musk consistently throughout his SpaceX, but also Jeff Bezos with his $42 million clock in the Sierra Diablo Mountains. 42 is one of their covert ways of representing Saturn, which of course is associated with lead, black, death, and the material realm. So you have this idea, I think, of, yeah, that perhaps I even thought, or I think maybe perhaps that dark matter might be an exoteric way of explaining this concept, that the universe is nothing but dead, or rather in, or matter, the material realm, is a place for uh, 
existence to happen in like as you described I think it makes sense but I don't know how this works as far as like the idea of the, the Gnostics and the Demiurge seems to make sense the idea that the place that we're in is under the control of some kind of a, a Demiurge which would be not necessarily the devil but the lord of the material realm whose objective it is to uh, trap or trick or somehow create some amnesic wall to split off incarnated spiritual beings and cut them off uh, from their origin so they remain plugged in here down below fascinating idea and it seems to make sense uh, it, to me it makes some some level of sense that maybe there is some kind of a uh, a purpose here and the purpose is not losing sight of uh, your humanity which isn't defined by what evolved you but rather of your origins from above and you know the satanic philosophy is that man has no spiritual divine origin that man is simply the most evolved animal and so the satanic idea is purely out of the material realm and I think that's kind of where I think it goes wrong because that's very consistent with scientism and the meaninglessness of everything and a total um, acceptance of that has a number of connotations social Darwinistic among others do a Sempera says we fall into the material realm then once we learn to let go detach we begin our ascension to the light yeah and the concept of falling is consistently associated with the number 42 and with this Saturn and with the um, idea of descent into matter and we, we've I've come across this in many different forms but like the fallen angels you know you got the light in the sky but it's represented on the ground as a, a meteor a rock so light into a rock uh, slowing into or rather yeah I guess I guess slowing down into density into a, a realm where now you're no longer outside of time space but you're limited in a now and your information is restricted to your senses which are designed to protect you in the uh, terrestrial realm but your spiritual side would be that which transcends the information you get that transcends your physical meat suit which would include intuition and synchronicity and interestingly uh, intuition is disregarded and synchronicity is pathologized oh you're seeing patterns that's apophenia you have intuition ignore it you know it's just an emotion it's just a random feeling and my entire life I've had very clear uh, intuitive glimpses about things and sometimes I'd bring these up and I learned to stop I learned to stop bringing it up because I never came across anyone else who took intuition as anything other than just some random feeling but specifically uh, people would defy or rather contradict my intuition like there's no way you could know you're paranoid so it's almost like the system is designed to internally to have everyone gaslight anybody else around them about anything that might be considered uh, extrasensory or psychic or even transcendent or some or clairvoyant I mean anything outside of the materialist reductionist view is just automatically gaslit out of existence but there was a point where I trusted my intuition in a number of events and it made it very clear to me that you can't go with the world 
Like if you're going to follow higher information that transcends what you could possibly know, if you're going to have access to higher information or intuitive glimpses, you have to recognize that other people don't have that vantage point and they will reflexively contradict it. So you cannot look to the world for validation in this. You know, you, you want communication and validation. You want that information received and something bounced back. Well, your sounding board can't be NPCs. It's the universe itself. It's the synchronicities that indicate that there is some kind of a connection between the self and the uh, the the realm itself. But of course, being told to ignore your intuition, or if you habitually ignore any of this stuff and don't tap into it, yeah, you would remain, I would think, somewhat confined. And I think a lifetime remaining confined with a blinkered view, head in the box, yeah, maybe it would condemn a soul to being recycled, perhaps with even less awareness the next time around. I'm not quite sure. I'm not sure how this all works. You know, there's this um, relief work on this giant scale. It's like a, it's a sculpture of scales outside of the courthouse. And there's this relief work out there that has Anubis weighing a soul. It's a heart and a feather. And the idea is that if your soul is heavier than the feather, it gets devoured by the hideous hippopotamus-looking demon thing. So in other words, you lose your existence if you lived at the level of the material and lost sight of your soul. You, you, your flesh blotted out your spirit. And that's an interesting idea as far as, you know, like this judgment of the soul at the end. Anyway, I was sitting there looking at this thing a few years ago. And this is when I started to take my intuition very seriously. So I'm looking at this weighing of a soul situation on this big sculpture of these scales outside of the courthouse where I had just spent some time doing something. I was probably suing somebody. But I'm looking at this thing, and it's like, okay, I see the feather, I see the heart, and I see a soul in the balance. And I had this sinking feeling in my stomach that someone I knew, uh, a relative, that I was keeping an eye on was somehow in some kind of trouble. Now I had no reason to think so. I didn't see anything. I didn't hear anything. But something, you know, you say, you know, back of your head or your gut, sinking feeling, all these various ways of describing your reaction to information that isn't coming through your senses, but somehow it's being conveyed. And so I had this feeling that something was wrong. And I immediately went over to this person's house. And interestingly enough, the person had overdosed on Ambien. And I, you know, called the ambulance, of course, and they were actually taking code blue, ICU. Uh, they were on the precipice of death. So I, I kind of took away from that the idea that, um, you know, the person, perhaps their soul was being judged. Perhaps it was being weighed. Perhaps they were in a, in a moment there where it was being determined what's going to happen with their final disposition. And, and my point of it is, my intuitive glimpse that something was up prompted me to go over there and just barge on in. And he was actually uh, in the bathtub. The shower curtains had fallen over him and it was just totally out. But I mean, that was one. One of about four or five things that had occurred over several years that had really made me realize that I'm going to trust my intuition over anybody else from here on out because, and, and one, and, and more importantly, 
um, I'm not going to allow it to be contradicted by people who don't have whatever information or access to whatever. And I have a theory about how it works. And I, I've noticed that I've had these types of uh, synchronicities or uh, intuitive flashes about people, but only people that I've had spent considerable time with, or there's some kind of emotional engagement. Like, I, I think that has to do with what Jung called the a-causal connective principle, the idea of when two things or two people have been in touch and they're separated, uh, time and space means nothing in terms of this connection still existing. And this is kind of the basis for a lot of what you would find in magical practices, sympathetic magic, imitative magic. The reason why they would take um, uh, hair clippings or a picture of somebody to represent them. The idea of like attracts like or things that are alike are somehow, if they're connected informationally, if they're connected symbolically, then they're connected in a more meaningful way from this perspective. And I'm just suggesting here, more or less, um, I, I kind of think that intuition is real. It's a way, it, and it has to do with some type of awareness that transcends our five senses, but that we don't have any, it doesn't have words, so it doesn't articulate itself, which makes it easy to ignore. Elephant Tusk says, all are connected to the quantum field. Yeah, I would agree with that, but I would say some are more connected than others, that you can become more enmeshed or entangled with others through personal involvement. And I think that would explain some of the various instances I've had where I've been made available to people who needed it because of um, intuition, synchronistic flashes, etc. Isabel Ann says, Life is a school. We're here to learn lessons, evolve our consciousness, and experience love. Everyone has a soul syllabus. See, that makes more sense to me than anything. It makes a lot more sense than just defaulting to this is all cope to deal with the fact that nothing means anything. And I used to hear people say this stuff. I would like, I would recount uh, synchronicities. And these aren't just meaningless patterns. I'm talking about uh, things that actually change the trajectory of one's life, that put you in touch with something. And most of you know what I'm talking about when we're talking about meaningful uh, synchronistic experiences. And, you know, these types of things suggest to me that there's a purpose that there's a purpose um, behind everything that's being occulted deliberately. Let's see here. Andrew Munchkin says, weird, same thing happened to me, saved his life too. Right, like you're having some kind of, um, you know, you, I think people talk about mother's intuition. They wake up before the baby starts crying, that kind of thing. But I think there's something to it, and I think it's not well understood. And in the um, occult world, they talk about this specifically within Thelema, Alistair Crowley. And I talk about this stuff because this is the information that is gate kept from the public. But a lot of it is about this notion of recognizing that one has a, quote, higher self. And that establishing communication with the higher self requires a process of stepping away from the world and recognizing the significance of your own life. And they call this process crossing the abyss. Like it's a, it is a paradigm shift to actually cross this line and suggest that I'm going to live my life from here on out as though it has meaning. 
and as though there is some kind of, or as though these communications are more than just uh, cognitive bias or cherry picking or however people want to reduce it. But that crossing of a line, and you know, I describe it like echolocation in a way. You know, bats in the dark, they're going through the dark and they're screeching, and then they're able to know when there's obstacles ahead of them, they know where the clear path is by the sound waves bouncing back. So there's this communication that guides them through the darkness. And I think that's how we navigate through the dark matter, either blindly, following along, or your intention is your communication into the dark, your focus, your intention. That's why they have the attention economy. That's why they're always trying to steal your attention because your your attention is actually your intention and it's where your energy goes it's where your focus goes and i think our focus as sentient co-creators is a resource that's kind of like the idea in the dark crystal you know or many movies where they're stealing the soul energy of people the bad guys are always harvesting something what are they harvesting they're not literally going into your brains and taking your adrenochrome they're taking your focus your attention they're taking your light and directing it into some prefabricated uh, reality, dystopian ideal, whatever they're having planned for the future. It's, it's basically a pretty much fact that we're matrix batteries. Unless you opt out. I happen to think that you're a matrix battery if you're non-skeptical. If you're automatically feeding your, quote, loosh into this thing. All right, let's see what else we have here. Flatlander Montgomery says, yes, I get intuition about my kids. Not much else, though. Right. Right. Well, now this intuition thing, see, it's fascinating. I felt like I was being tested at one point where I was noticing, you know, we, I mean, this is before I even paid attention to the news media. I was noticing patterns or rather uh, clues. Like, you know, I, I hear something, I see something. And it formed a composite very quick about a person. And based on synchronistic occurrences, I formed a composite about somebody, set off, you know, like red flags. You notice red flags about somebody. But these were not just red flags. These were uh, synchronistic messages that wouldn't have any meaning outside of my putting them together. But it happened to lead to the correct conclusion. And, you know, without getting into specifics, I'm just saying that um, I could not have arrived at that information through any other way than intuition. And had I not acted on it, something terrible would have happened. And I think when I acted on it, I think it sent a signal uh, to my intuition itself that there's an open channel of communication that had been established that I was somewhat, and this is, I mean, I mean this is where I get into the light versus dark. I think that's when I made a decision um, to recognize the existence of evil and of the need of those who perceive it to um, not just stand by passively, like an NPC, if you're in a position to act. And I find it really interesting, just the idea of NPCs, moral relativism and meaninglessness and apathy in the face of everything. And it just seems like it just seems like um, 
we could remain complacent matrix batteries as long as we're convinced that nothing means anything and that this is not a game or there's not a test, it's not a school. No, you're just an accident. All right, let's continue. I want to go through my Twitter feed. So the next big news, again, mornings, we'll be doing live Discord chats. Um, evenings, we'll be doing open phones. Dewis Impera says, if there is not evil in this world, we might get too attached and hence trapped. Fascinating. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's uh, definitely the case. There is some kind of light versus dark thing, and it's told in all the myths. You know, we get all these stories, these reoccurring cyclic myths. And, you know, the real question for me, of course, is, um, you know, what's the, what's the um, objective here with all the trickery and the deception? Because I don't think you can separate mass media deception from spiritual deception. And when I say spiritual, I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about any sort of external God concept. I'm talking about the aspects of the self um, that the awareness of, or rather consciousness, that is transcendent of the physical body, and I'm suggesting that that anything we consider, you know, intuitive, psychic, synchronistic, anything involving higher uh, modalities of consciousness would fall into the purview of spirituality. Like even having precognition about something, or knowing about something happening at a distance, there's no physical. Uh, way there's no physical conduit for this information to pass from one person to the other, but it's just conveniently ignored, or it's ridiculed, or it's misrepresented. But what we can, what I have been pointing out, is that it's also gate kept, and just because something is ridiculed or maligned, uh, doesn't mean it's not studied or even practiced at a very high level by the people telling you to ignore it. Do us in Paris says, so the prison guards are our liberators in a sense. You know, there's a book by David Icke called uh, Tales from the Time Loop, and he seems to have arrived at this, where he suggests that sentient beings took a turn into carnal existence. And he, he described uh, the universe itself as an infinite stream of light and consciousness that got caught up in a bit of a whirlpool and that as it became enmeshed in the illusion it became convinced of its reality and it cut off from its original source so that the idea here according to Ike's book Tales from the Time Loop Mankind is really just a huge collection of souls trapped in a delusion and that the enemies the reptoids the bad guys whatever you want to call them are just external projections of our worst elements the R-complex, territorial aggression, the reptilian within us, that we are in fact prisoners of our lowest aspects, and that until we collectively ascend, we're going to be stuck in an endless cycle. That's kind of a, an interesting take on it, and I think he took ayahuasca to arrive at that. But I think it also has an interesting kind of analog analogy to the globe concept of versus the infinite concept, and the constraints and spinning and the discombobulation of spiritual beings from their spiritual origins by putting them into a purely materialistic universe. 
but uh, that's one of Ike's books that I actually think is great because it's not his typical, you know, reptilians or human sacrifice is a huge obsession with a lot of his books. And, you know, Save the Children, Adrenochrome, that all came from David Icke. But Tales from the Time Loop is really, in a way, it kind of explains, in some ways, I think, how this place may possibly work. But I wonder, too, if the media fakery has a bigger role, of course, because the more you're convinced of the dominant paradigm, the more you take for granted that certain things don't exist, you exclude those things. Yeah, I think it could easily put somebody off of a path to any kind of true awakening. Which is, of course, the whole point. Uh, thank you, Frank Murr. We here at the IPS appreciate the support. Go ahead and open phones. Hey, what's up, caller? Can you hear me okay? Tim, do us in power. Hey, thank you for calling, and thank you for all the comments. How are you doing? So I, yeah, listen, I didn't want to interrupt your flow there, but I, I love this conversation. And just when you were mentioning Ike's book there, I, I sort of, like, the thing that's always stumped me is, like, the, the most fundamental question is, why should there be anything at the beginning? Like, if you imagine, like, why, why didn't something, whatever it was, first cause, I guess you could call it, why wasn't nothingness selected for? Like if you've got a coin and it's sort of, you know, you flip and it's sitting on its edge, why should it fall towards there being something at all? And, and you can't just say God was there at the beginning because who was it that selected for there being a God at the beginning? So you always end up at this, at this starting point. Why, should, why was something favored over nothingness? And, and for me, like the way I resolve that paradox is, is maybe it's, it's a combination of the both. Like the only way that it makes sense without having to declare some sort of first cause or some sort of, you know, original God is that both have to exist. Like there has to be something, you know, somethingness and nothingness. So, so it sort of puts us in this, you know, constant, you know, dying and, you know, death and rebirth sort of thing. So, so, so for me, it's like, it doesn't have to be, you know, that there are these, you know, you know, evil archetypes and, you know, archons and all the rest of it here. It's just all, it's our way of sort of saying, you know, we're, we're trapped here. But if we look at it in a different way, you know, we need to be trapped here so we can be liberated in into the next place. And then once we're in that next place, you know, we sort of, we have to die to come back to this, the, the opposing mirror, I guess. So, so you know, that's, that's a long ramble, a way of saying that, you know, we, okay, well, I'll phrase it as a question to you. What, what do you think about, you know, what was first? Yeah, that's, a, that's a very good question. And, um, you know, I, I like the idea, you know, look at the beginning of the Bible where it's like this chaos, the abyss, just black chaos, and then let there be light. So it's the first is the word, meaning uh, reality is now spoken into existence because now the, the word puts order into the chaos, which conforms itself to the word. And the word is information. And I've been suggesting everything is information. And we are, of course, reading the word or perceiving or living it, living the ordering of the chaos so i don't know how it all begins but it just seems like it begins with this um and, and i look at like the symbolism of like letters and runes and all of these things go back to the creation myths and the idea of creation having something to do with words with letters with symbolism with meaning being encoded in a way that it could be perceived so i don't know how it all starts but 
I don't think you can separate creation itself from meaning and our perception of it. Yes, and it brings about that question again, like who or what was it that recognized that something needed to be put into existence? You know, it's like, let there be light, let there be creation, you know, however you want to word it. But, but who or what was sitting there going, okay, this is boring, there's no creation, we need creation. So, so it's almost if like, you know, there's a lot of wisdom to be taken out of religious texts and all the rest of it, but, but it's also kind of, it, it can be very misleading. And, and the whole crux of all of it is that, you know, there's this need to be saved or this need for salvation from this, you know, from this mess. And, and then there's the implication that there is a, is a creator that's, that's going to judge us. And, you know, what do we have to do it, when, when really, if we, if we take it back a step, you know, and, and just realize that, well, how do we name that, that first being, the, the being that sort of realized that there needed to be creation? And, and I don't, and, I, and that's the mind bender. And, and I'm so fascinated by paradox because with our, with our sort of conceptual minds and the way we just want to sort of give meaning and understanding to everything, if, if you imagine like it's a big, flat, you know, finite plane, when you, when you go far enough in any sort of direction of questioning, if you go, if you persist long enough, you always end up at this place where you can't give meaning to it. it it's like a paradox. Like, I like this one. It's like, you, if you look at reality, nothing exists without, you know, existing in the context of its opposite. So you, you don't have hot, you know, we've heard it all before. You don't have hot unless you have cold and all the rest of it. So in a sense, nothing exists by itself. And yet everything exists. You, you look around. So no one thing exists independent of, of itself. And yet you look around and there's everything here. So we're in, in, we're in this sort of realm where, the, you know, you, you could say that there's no objective singular existence. Like every, the existence of everything you can point to or conceptualize is within the context of its opposite, you know, so, so duality. So you've got this perfect symmetry, it, you know, you, you can't have it, you know, sort of 51%, you know, it's got to be right down the middle. So symmetry kind of in, implies duality. And then the way to sort of uh, reconcile the two is paradox, which is my namesake, you know, duality, symmetry, paradox. And, and I, I seem to get peace, like, you know, I batted my head against the wall for years and years and years trying to sort of understand everything. And the only peace I've ever really gotten to is when you get to the wall of, of your sort of direction of questioning and then you sort of, you know, confronted or presented or gifted with, uh, you know, a, an awareness of paradox. And then you realize, so, so the answer to all these questions is, is in fact a non-answer, which in itself is a paradox. Okay, well, this duality thing, what Ike said too, he specifically referred to love and fear as being the poles. And he suggested that we're here as long as we're dominated by fear. It's fear of scarcity, fear of death, that we're, that our bodily exist, our physical terrestrial survival is based on, of course, fear, situational awareness and fear of threats. But he suggested that on the other end of it is love, which is embracing everything and even recognizing and embracing the reptilian, the, uh, the basically kind of getting over it, but that he suggests that until we overcome fear with love, uh, we will be stuck at a low vibration. And when you look at the idea of like the the chakras and consciousness, you know, it begins, you know, at, at the, the bottom, the root, the, the earth, then the top, it's the crown, the transcendent. And it seems like we're kept at the lower levels when we're focused on uh, scarcity, survival, and things that would be attached to fear. And I, I think he makes a great point about that. Like this is... um sort of like the auto-hoaxing thing, that in order to really see the world stage as such, 
and to separate from it, you have to emotionally disengage from it, and and that takes a bit of a you know, rising above the the fear implied in everything they tell us to believe. Right, and maybe it's not a linear thing. Like so, so even just you know, everyone calls everyone a gatekeeper. You know, I don't I don't really go into that much, or like I don't go in for that much. But if there was sort of you know, you know, David Ike might be like one of the you know, I'm not saying he's you know intentionally, so I don't even care. But but if he was like you know, you know, Alex Jones is is keeping that first gate, and then you know there are a series of people, and maybe David Ike is one of those exterior gates, and and the only sort of Thing I'd point out is that that even that it's it's sort of implying you know that that fear is a problem, and but if you look at it from like if you step back and look at it from from far enough away, that that fear was necessary to get to the point of love. So if we if we're looking at that fear and we're and we're you know applying a sort of negative connotation to it, we might not get the lesson from it that we actually need. And I know you sort of touched on that by you know embracing the the uh, the, the reptile and all that sort of stuff, um, but but. You know, if, if you if you do sort of just I don't say embrace fear, but just accept that it's there, you know, then then maybe the the the, the resulting love comes quicker. But even that's a tra trap. It gets really really slippery because then it, it sort of sets up this this trap. I would say of you know in a linear fashion trying to get to some goal. And maybe it's not that it's like, maybe it's just like, okay, there's fear here. And that sort of takes you to, to a part, you know, you, you're feeling anxious or, you know, you know, stressing about bills or whatever it is. And, and you get to a point where you're just like, oh, to hell with it. I don't care that like, they can come and, you know, kick me out of the apartment, whatever it is. And then in that moment, you kind of have relief, but you've just, you've just given up on it. And then you sort of sit there. I used to do this and write all the time. It's like, oh, okay. So, so the cure for anxiety is like lots of anxiety, like bring it on. But then, but then, because you're trying to get to that goal of having no anxiety, you, you're tricked again. So, so it's kind of like, you know, the, it's like, okay, this breathing in and out all the time. It's like, why not just take one big breath and then we don't have to bother with that anymore? It's like, no, it's it's a constant thing. It's you have to, you know, you have to uh, breathe in and you have to breathe out, and you sort of accept that that's. So if you apply that to sort of fear and love, it's like, you know, through this life, you're going to have periods where you know you're trapped by fear, whatever negative, you know, emotion or mindset or whatever it is. And and the, the more you're able to kind of just accept it and go into it, the, the more harmonized or or the less dramatic the the jumping between polarities gets. And and maybe that's like a more sort of calm like there's this there's this impulse to kind of arrive at enlightenment, whatever that is. But but maybe enlightenment is not a permanent state. Maybe it's it's a it's a it's a fluctuation. And you, you only get those little moments of enlightenment enlightenment. Within the context of you know whatever the op you know fear and whatever the opposite to that enlightenment is, what do you think of the notion that there's some type of a struggle between like a struggle that may be resolved at some point between like light and dark, and that people who are operating at the lower levels would be on the dark side more or less by default, which I would say that the dark side is the the default, but there's like that that. Um, you know, religious philosophy, Manichaeism, which was basically this dualistic cosmology, everything breaking down into good and evil, black and white. But like, do you think it is black and white? Well, well, I think yes, but but it, it's sort of fractal. So like within each person, like I don't, you know, they say Jesus was a perfect person, whatever that means. I don't, I don't, I, I don't buy into that. I, or, or maybe that he's at the top of that fractal and at the bottom of the, you know, the Rothschilds or whoever you want to name it at, at, at the bottom. And, but but that's sort of on a collective level. 
but individually, like every person is, is I think it's a constant battle. I, I don't think you ever get to the point where, uh, you know, within one individual life, I don't, well, it's just my, my intuition, I guess, that you don't actually get to the point where it's just all light. Cause it, it's sort of like, you know, the, the same, like what I mentioned before on a comment, it's like, you know, it, it, you know, the, the, we, the idea of living eternally, living in this, like, you know, perfect, blissful, eternal realm. Well, then time in a sense ceases to exist. So, 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 so it, there is no time. Like we need to get into this place where there is time, you know, so that we can appreciate what timelessness would be. So, so therefore there's no like, okay, we live this life and then we go to heaven and, you know, we live happily ever after. I think it's, I sort of look at it as like after this life here, we go to some next place and we sort of like take a couple of deep breaths and go, fuck, that was brutal. And then, you know, after a while, you know, we're laying on some, you know, beach somewhere or something. And, you know, we do that for a few millennia. And then it's like, yeah, this is getting kind of boring. Let's go back to that, you know, death realm. And it's like, shit, are you sure you, you're ready? You sure you want to go for that? And it's like, oh, maybe you're right. Let's wait another millennia. And by that time, you're just itching to experience time and drama and all the rest of it. So you jump in. So so in, in, a, in a stand back sort of view, you're, you're oscillating between you know, this, this realm of death and this realm of life. And, and you, you need both. You can't just like squash out the realm of death to enjoy the realm of life. And to answer your question, th the same thing happens within this life here. So it's this fractal all the way up and down. So within this life, you know, we have dark times and we have good times, you know, but, but, you know, you just, you, you have, a, you have like 10 days off work or something by day five, it's just, you're just not enjoying that day off. You know, whereas you've had a long day of work and you get home and it's like you really enjoy that first hour and you just you start thinking, God, I wish I never had to work. I wish I had billions of dollars. But but if you did have that, then, you know, after, you know, a number of days, you'd be bored. So you, you kind of like going to work. And so it's it's like an ex so if there is some sort of bliss, I think it would be related to accepting that it's a constant, you know, quote, battle between light and dark. Well, in the Tarot symbolism, the death card is 13, and the death has a negative connotation, and it's scary, and it's a skull, and the, the bones, but when you look at the meaning of it, the symbolism is that it's the grim reaper at the harvest, and that you have to have the annual harvest for the new growth, and that death is a necessary prerequisite to future growth, death transformation, otherwise you have stagnation. So the card represents actually new beginnings. So it's not really the end of everything, and it has it's associated with Scorpio, and you know Scorpion, you know, or even like you'll find in in the symbolic systems things that shed their skin associated with death because death is looked at as yeah shedding a skin, the skin being the human character you developed living at the human level, unaware of your spiritual side, and that when you unite with that spiritual side and you see the difference again, then you can shed your human ego based stuff and have a more authentic existence, whether that requires a physical death or some transformative revelation in life. And I think the purpose of the Tarot and the symbolic systems was to enlighten you about this stuff so that you could actually have these awakenings in this life without needing to physically die to have a death or to yeah, yeah. Yeah, to sort of die die before to die before death. That would sort of be maybe a a, a good uh, definition of enlightenment, maybe. That's but every. That, I wonder if even that's possible. Well, that's every mystery school. Every mystery school, even the Freemasonic free one, involves a symbolic death of the candidate being put into a coffin, and that is they're, and they're basically told you're you're dying to your ignorant old self and you're being reborn. So the idea of death and resurrection is really intrinsic to all these different mystical traditions, and I I think 
Carl Jung and others have written on this, suggesting that the psychological effects of that um, may be transformative. Yeah, no, I, I wonder if it's even possible. Like, I, I really feel that that's probably like if I had to pinpoint one ultimate truth, I, I would probably say it's that, you know, the, the, the capacity to sort of die before death. But, you know, when you when you really question yourself, like, you know, you ask the average person, you know, are you going to die? Like, you know, if it's on a test or something, everyone's going to tick yes. Like, we all know that. But 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 do you really know that? Like, uh, I just remember, you know, being younger and you always sort of had this feeling like you knew you'd die, but it wasn't going to be you. It was like, you know, you know, Tim, you're not going to die. It's just it's old Tim with gray hair and a walking stick. He, at some point, he'll come and tap you on the shoulder and say, OK, OK, young Tim, I'll take it from here. Don't worry, you don't have to go through death. That, that's on old Tim. That's on me. And so when you think into it deeper and deeper and deeper, I wonder if that's even possible because it, like it's and it's like, I guess they have that in seen those you know, cartoons or whatever, where, where, where the, the master sort of vanishes into light or something. And I, I wonder if that's not possible. You know, I wonder if that's even possible, but what it leads into and the, and the question, I guess, to wrap it up that I have for you and, and the thing that you always kind of get to is, you know, you mentioned ego before and, you know, whatever that means, like a, like a sort of a, a central point of outward consciousness, I guess. Like, does that live true to the next place? I know it's the age old question, but what, what's your take on that? Like, is there some part of, of you that that will, you know, you know, past this life, like, you know, on the other side of death, I guess, that will, will look back and recognize, you know, the Tim that was alive? You know, I, I had this uh, interesting book that described the Egyptian concept of the soul that was divided in two parts. There's the immortal soul, and then there's one that you build here in life, your the, the, the your perspective, your ego perspective, and that there's a merge, there's a merging of the two, but that you're, um, you're not losing it all necessarily, but you're given a, a wider perspective. But that um, the idea of the soul being having multiple components, a higher and a lo lower component, uh, made a lot of sense to me because we are you know, yes, the, the Ka, the Ba, and the the Ak. Spiritual entities everybody possesses. I, I found some interesting concepts in, in a few other magical philosophies that kind of address this as well. And the idea, of course, is um, are we a false self now, or are we merely a blinkered self, amnesiac of our, um, of our true origin? But I do think we do have some kind of uniqueness that remains with us like I don't think we just dissolve into nothingness after but I think that remaining incarnated perpetually down here while it might sound attractive if you're really into the world I could see why that could be a trap especially if it means um, a perpetual ignorance about how you really exist you know outside of this like uh, the idea of all these like damnation or the demiurge I think there might be something to that idea of just being totally cut off you know, like cut off from God in in the religious sense, but cut off from the source. I, I don't think that's, um, like the idea that I was saying, that the weighing of the soul, being devoured by the hippopotamus thing, if your soul is outweighed by your flesh, like that seems to me to be like a real possibility. Maybe that's even the temptation. That's the purpose to... to well, well, maybe it is, you know, the whole upload your consciousness to the to the hard drive sort of thing. And, you know, whatever it says in Revelations there that, you know, men shall seek death and death shall flee from them or whatever it is. But but it's not a, it's not a forever trap because it I, I, I would only suspect that the the density would actually get lighter. So, so, you know, if it's even possible, you upload your consciousness to some sort of hard drive somewhere, you know, it, you know, 
in in this level you know you, you get into inception waters and stuff but in, in this level like i wonder if this place does have a you know a, a finite lifespan you know in the in, in the ultimate scheme of things so when that ends well whatever you upload you know if you're uploaded into some hard drive or something well that would by default end as well but to your point until that happened you would be living in some sort of you know uh, cut off from source because you'd be further from source. You'd you'd kind of be insulated from from higher source. I hate using all those words, but you know what I mean. Yeah, you'd be cut off. Yeah, insulated from that higher source. So you would be, you know, by that definition, living in a in, in a sort of hell. But I think even from that, there is an escape to, you know, all the. But it might not be of your own making. Well, when I say source, you know, like I I, I like the concept of the tree of life. And how it shows like this material realm at the bottom and the light at the top and that man has fallen and the purpose is to kind of climb back up. But the idea of did source... Did we fall or did we dive though? Did we fall or did we dive? See, that's a very, very good question. Uh, the idea of like, the Garden of Eden and becoming too aware, knowing good and evil, being cast out. There's all these different like ideas of the fall, the fall from grace, um, rebellion, and uh, you know I'm not quite sure, you know which it is, you know whether it was voluntary or if it's not voluntary, but the idea of a of a fall is kind of implied in all of this. I kind of find that really fascinating. Maybe it's volitional. Yeah, I, I like the the more I've thought about it, like that's sort of where my thinking goes that it sort of is volitional and it's you know it's being I guess maybe philosophically white-pilled, um, you know, to, to, to sort of move towards that notion that nothing can really happen to us negatively eternally, you know, like, but we can, we can go through hell in, in, you know, like right now, you know, we've all had our moments in life where it's just like hell couldn't, you know, we'd sign up for hell, like, you know, whatever it is, you go through a breakup or, you know, someone dies, you know, close to you. And it's just like, you know, someone puts a piece of paper in front of your face and says, would you like to escape this to hell? And you, like, you'd sign, you know, so, so we've all been like, you know, at, at those sort of points, but I, I'm sort of white-pilled in, in the sense that I don't think like there's any such sort of thing as eternally damned. And I think it goes back to that, to that notion, like to, to be internally damned, there would need to be a dammer, someone who does the damning. And that would imply that there was something that existed outside of, quote, existence before everyone else sort of came along into the game. And I, I, it, there just doesn't seem to be a way to resolve that, like, because you always end up going, well, you know, back to first cause. Well, who, who, was, who, was, who existed or what existed prior to first cause? And so it seems like the only way to resolve that is just, you know, it's, it's us. Like, so, you know, this, and, and, and then it gets, you know, you, it gets very hard to sort of conceptualize what that could be. But, but, you know, just consciousness seeping into different forms and making different games and different realities and different existences. But, but in a sense, it's, it's all from that one thing and, and that one source, that one source point, the dam itself. So, so, and it's not to say that you can, oh, that, oh, good, that gives us a license to go and do everything because, you know, there's already a sort of, uh, you know, uh, what's the word, like a, a security against that because, you know, for most normally adjusted people, it feels bad to go and like punch your neighbor in the face. Like, it's not like just, oh, oh, this, we don't get damned. I can just go beat everyone up. Like it's, it doesn't feel good to watch someone else in pain. So like empathy is a kind of, you know, security catch against that, I guess. So a white pill that there isn't a hell, or I, I kind of agree with that. Like, I think this is the bottom level um, that, that this is the lowest it gets. 
and I think maybe we're naturally buoyant. You know, like in in the uh, yeah. science tells us that we're star stuff, and you know, like I mentioned, dark matter might just be an exoteric way of explaining things how they really are. That it's like um, st maybe we are star stuff, not matter from stars that exploded a long time ago, but in the sense that we're light, presently beamed down, like we exist on a continuum. Uh, from light into the more dense matter here at the bottom where we're, you know, part of the material, but that we are coexisting above and below, but we're only seeing things from down here. And that maybe at some point... Yeah, like, like, oh, that's right, Tim, like, like, like fallen angels. And I think there's, there's the, the point that's made that maybe angel, the E and the L was reversed. And, you know, it's actually, you know, not ang it angles, like an angle of light you know, being, being, you know, essentially fallen from, from that star, you know, that you, that you mentioned that. Yeah. Angle. Yeah. The angle of light thing. And have you, I think the angle of light that forms a rainbow is like 42 degrees. And I remember yeah, discussing yeah. this because you talk about like the prism and it takes white light and divides it into the rainbow, the seven. And the number of seven being associated with creation is interesting in this regard. You know, even in the, the voodoo religion, you have the, the, the serpent god descends to earth. The spirits descend on the rainbow. But it's the idea of light diffusing oh, wow, into the color. So 42 degrees. or And you know, all the symbolism over the rainbow. But what I'm suggesting here is that that could be symbolic of light diffusing itself into creation. Uh, and the 42 is a number constantly associated with falling. You know, and, and so there's like some, there's a bit of a consistency here with the theme of, of course, light falling into matter and, you know, forgetting its origin, but basically it's, the theme is there and it's consistent. And isn't it interesting, like it ties back in, like to what you were saying about intuition before, like me, me personally, I often get in the trap of trying to understand everything. Like, you know, it's got to be put into its perfect rational box and it has to be, you know, just a, a logical sequence. But there's just so much out there. It's like, you know, you, you were talking, you know, I haven't really looked too much into astrology and, and, and I, it's, it's that thing where it's like, I really need to look into that sort of thing. And then it's like, but I really need to look into this thing. I and it's like, I need a thousand lifetimes to sort of be able to rationally put all of those things into their, their proper boxes and their proper context. When, when on the other side of that, there's, there's another means to kind of understanding things. And it's just that it's that little, uh, you know, it's intuition or it's, or it's insight or it's, or it's epiphany, you know, there's, you, you, you can't really explain why you know something, but it just hits and it just makes sense. It resonates with something, you know, that that's beyond, you know, language and, you know, being able to, to sort of, rationally define something it's like you sort of don't need the definition it just it just rings true right yes yes uh someone in here had mentioned uh diana south she said i believe the creator god's name is i am and i had this synchronicity a few months ago where i'm driving and i see i am in graffiti on this light post and i'm just gonna happen to be thinking about co-creation and the idea of speaking creation into existence so i already had this in my mind and i see i am so then I go to a park that I'd never been to before, and a car parks in front of me, and its license plate says John One Four Six. Now I don't know what John One Four Six is, so I, and that's going to be I am right. Well, my yeah, my whole premise here is that we live in a cybernetic system, and that there is some kind of communication consistently between you and it. So I don't know what John One Four Six is. I'm sitting in this park I've never been in before, thinking about this I am thing. So I look up on my phone, John One Four Six, I am the way the truth and the life. So like, how do I explain that without 
reaching without mentioning or at least pointing out that I had no way of knowing that that I might. Oh, it's just a coincidence, Tim. It's just a, didn't you know? It's just a coincidence. Exactly. Right. Exactly. It's like, you know, it's just like it just it gets silly at that point. And and do you find you get in those sort of like you'll have periods as well where you'll 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 get lots of those but the, the insights and the the epiphanies and, and intuition that will come sort of free flowing, and then you'll have other times where where it's really stagnant. And then you look at those times and, and you'll notice that, you know, it correlates with, you know, sort of how controlling you were trying to be, like not over people necessarily, but just over your own understanding of how life works. And you, you just, you're just, you really want to understand it. You're, you're just trying to control and understanding like out of you or into you, which, whichever way you want to phrase it. And, and sometimes when you just let go, that's when those epiphanies will come. But I've also found that it, it's almost like, because it, that forcing and that wanting to know, like that will that you mentioned before, like willing things into existence, that will was was part of the journey that led you to the point where you could kind of just let it all go and relax. So so it, so all that to say, it's not to demonize having will and, and a rational desire to understand things, but but to be able to use the two, you know, in 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 tandem, in combination, in a sense, because you need that that forcing and that that will to understand things. But you also need that that the feminine side, you know, the masculine and the feminine to kind of be able to sort of let go of it and, and to let it come. And and it sort of seems to work best when when the two work in tandem. In tandem, yes. Because you, I don't think you can use magic and intention and law of attraction to make life easy. Like the physical material world is meant to be handled at this level. And I don't think we're meant to, um, there's no cheat codes in life. And if you're looking for cheat codes, you might be missing the purpose and you might be missing out on, on, uh, transformative events, etc. And, and so I, I'm kind of like not trying to be super controlling, but I'm always, you know, ardently looking for uh, and researching, but my intuition tends to be open. And when I, when I see something, when something piques my attention like that, and I see other events or other things pop up. Um, yeah, it's almost like at that point, I'm not attached at all. I'm sort of like, not that I'm like walking on cloud nine, but it just seems like I don't have any expectations. Like I'm not, like for example, that park I went to was random. I'd never been to that park. I'd seen it, didn't know how to go there. And I just decided on the fly. So the randomness is actually a huge part to synchronicity, I've noticed. The randomness meaning but Tim, I wonder if, breaking I wonder patterns. If, that came, if you could look back. Sorry, I wonder if you could look back at that time and, and and if you could remember what was happening before that. Like, you know, you strike me as someone, you know, I don't want to put you in any particular box, but you strike me as someone who who has a, a deep sort of thirst for understanding. Like, and, and maybe I'm just projecting because that's me too. And I just wonder if, if, you know, when you had that experience in the park there, you know, where it was sort of random and you were feeling chill or whatever, I wonder if that was on the back of maybe, you know, a more sort of intense, you know, putting that will out there. You know, so I guess the point I make is it's not to demonize will and it's not to glorify, you know, just letting go. It's it's a, the, the both work. It's like don't demonize the masculine and glorify the feminine or vice versa. You know, it's 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 both that are necessary. And I just went through like a long time where it was just more that masculine approach, like really trying to, you know, name everything and understand everything and see how it all works. And I and, you know, over time, you know, you can only sort of hold that posture for so long each time. And, and, and when you sort of let go that's when, when the, the, the insights will flow. But I didn't notice that cycle was taking place for so many years. And it's, it's only sort of now um, that, that I can, you know, maybe, maybe the past few years where I actually recognize and you feel really stupid that, that it's taken this long. 
but to actually recognize that that the more peaceful sort of moments come or, or the more insightful moments come you know off the back of of the harder times yeah i think you're right about that and and you, you mentioned masculine feminine and in jungian psychology and symbolism he had it that the uh, the masculine with the sun and the feminine the moon represented consciousness and the subconscious so your conscious mind your logical that lights the world is symbolized by the sun but the subconscious the dark side is illuminated by the moon the feminine and he suggested that and that you could be more or less uh, too grounded in the solar in the logical in the masculine to the detriment yes, of yeah. your soul or if you went the other way you'd be a lunatic if you're not attached to the real world and you're just immersed in, in the lunar. <laughs> Literally. And, and so the point of it, of the symbol of like the eclipse, the sun and the moon conjoined meant uh, the harmony of balancing the two, the light of the sun shining into the darkness of the night and illumination being a process of the merging of the two. Well, wow, that's incredible. And it, it, it's sort of like, see, if this stuff, and this is, you know, that back to Confucius, whoever said signs and symbols, like, that, I used to hear that and just go, yeah, okay, signs and symbols are great, but you know, where's the book? Like, but but it just doesn't hit as deeply. So so now that you're you're saying that, you know, even though I may have sort of heard that before, I just visualized it better then, and, and it just it just hits a lot deeper um, than you know, sort of you know, reading something in a book. So if if you are some sort of enlightened master, a group of enlightened masters, you know, whatever it is, you know, in the secret societies, and you had sort of figured out these these eternal truths or you wouldn't write it down in a book i mean you, you know you can manly pee hole with his you know secret teachings and all that sort of stuff but and then maybe the two work in in conjunction again but but it seems like a, a simpler way and a simpler way for those truths to be carried on is through that symbolism and and it's almost like a, a confirmation of the truth you know it's not just a, an uh, an internally felt truth it's mirrored outside by the very realm that we're in, like, as you just pointed out with, with the masculine sun and the, and the feminine moon. Yes. Yes. And that's kind of what I, I think Jung's big point was, was this um, psychic, you know, wholeness. But as far as the symbolism, I think that the symbols may speak to the subconscious. Like I happen to think that maybe we have some, uh, some kind of like built in hardware, you know, we talk about archetypes, maybe there's some kind of like intrinsic programming as human beings that were like on an instinctual level that like i think maybe for example our subconscious is always processing information and it can be communicated to separately like there's two of us and one of us has an ego and that's the part that says i and the other part doesn't and that's the part that communicates via intuition mm. and has access to more information and so I, i've been kind of thinking about the subconscious almost as a separate person or um, another aspect to ourselves that could be comprehended as a separate person that, that doesn't operate with a centralized ego, but that is communicated to with archetypes and, and symbols. And this might explain a lot of the, psyop, the psyops and the religions and the archetypal superstitious fear they put into certain things. Maybe they're tapping into us at a very deep level. And is that kind of what you mean by when you, when you talk about intuition, are, are you sort of suggesting that th those two parts of, of yourself that's maybe how they communicate as well. Yeah, well, I kind like of the, the ego and the yeah, right. Yeah, I, I kind of think that maybe, for example, um, 
you know, like your, your consciousness is a filter, and it, what it does is it puts order on all the information you're getting. Because if you were consciously aware of every bit of sensory data you got, you'd go crazy. It'd be like, like 10 hits of acid. So your ego is really just giving you a <laughs> – it's giving you a viewfinder to narrow down. So you're not a spotlight in the darkness. You're actually filtering out most of what's there in your field of awareness to make sense. But I think that even though your, your ego awareness is filtering it for cohesion – I think we're still absorbing and taking in all that information and it is being pro processed subconsciously. And I think this might explain the use of symbols and, and uh, modalities of communication that go over our heads. But I still think that we're absorbing it. Eyes wide shut, like our, our unconscious is always receptive. That's such a good title for a movie that I, I must have watched that movie so many times and just not noticed the, the profundity of, of that name, like Eyes Wide Shut. That's so true. We're just walking through Eyes Wide Shut. But hey, Tim, I'm getting, uh, you know, uh, self-conscious of the, the time here that I've spent. I don't want to, you know, uh, keep everybody up. But maybe if I drop one last sort of uh, philosophical white pill, I guess, and it's just something I've been sort of thinking about later and lately, and it just, I guess it ties into the ego and this, it's like we're trying to sort of I think the fundamental thing that we're trying to understand, maybe, or at least me, is, you know, it's that, that question, does that, does that ego live on? Does it, does it, and, and it's, it's very confronting sort of thought, like people will just easily say, look, you know, you know, atheists, and they'll say, look, you know, nothing happens, but I don't think they really understand what they're saying, or it's just, they're, they're just sort of regurgitating it. And then, and then Christians, no, no offense to anybody, but, you know, Christians like, you know, you're going to die and you're going to be with God and all the rest of it. And then, you know, then you can get to the more sort of like quote new agey sort of stuff where it's like, you know, you're, you know, we all go back into source together, but that's kind of like an unsatisfying sort of answer. It's like, oh, okay. We, so, so yeah, but no, don't worry. You don't die you'll just be reabsorbed by source. And it's like, but those two are conflicting. It's like, I, I am worried that like this ego or me or whatever, it's, that it's just all this for nothing. Like what the hell? And it's just, I'm not satisfied with, it's just going to get reabsorbed into source. But then I thought about it another way. And it's sort of like you mentioned before that you don't remember your dreams. And, you know, I sort of do at, at times, I go through periods where I do and times where I don't, but, but I was thinking, you know, a little while ago, maybe, maybe like, an individual life like it is just like a dream like you know from from your from your position here in this existence as tim you don't really care too much about dreams you forgot it's it's really not that important but you're still here sort of you know experiencing it's not necessarily a an important conscious part of yourself so what if, what if the same is true moving up the fractal maybe each life is you know seven eight billion of us here or whatever it is Maybe they're just all dreams. I, I know it's that that whole sort of you know the butterfly that dreamt it was a human and vice versa and all the rest of it. But but every time like we 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 give one of those quotes, we sort of miss the the, the deeper uh, mechanics of, of the idea underneath it. And for me, it seemed to to give me some sort of uh, I don't want to say relief because it wasn't as if I was anxious or anything about it, but just you know a, a deeper sort of satisfaction of curiosity is that maybe this life like it, it doesn't have to be one or the other it doesn't have to be that you know you die and there's nothing else but it doesn't also have to be that the ego carries on or this incarnation carries on and lives into the next place maybe maybe there is some sort of you know uh collective being and it, it's not as if like you're just by being absorbed back into that bigger thing your, your whole life is just dismissed and cancelled off the slate as if it never mattered but you know, it did matter in some sort of, uh, you know, deeper subconscious sort of thing. 
but but it's it has the significance of whatever the consciousness we become a part of in in the next existence th this life has the significance of what a dream does to to us in 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 this life here so it's not as if it's it's gone but it's not a massive loss either it's you know th there's nothing to sort of mourn about that central point of awareness ceasing to exist it still is in there somewhere but but it's nothing to be it's nothing to be you know it's nothing to be cried over because it's it's in in that scheme of things in that in that higher context it's it's irrelevant i don't know if i expressed that very well fascinating actually no you you actually have and uh, kind of makes me think of the end of vanilla sky so it's not a in vanilla sky it's all about dreams and and right. and it's about one of my favorite movies yeah I, I i that movie i mean i can take it apart you know, it has so many layers to it. Yeah, yeah. But at the end of the movie, when he realizes it's a dream, it's a simulation, he has to go to this tower. And as he's going up the tower, the Beach Boy song "Good Vibrations" starts playing. So he's going up. Support, the, yeah. yeah, he's going up the tower. Vibrations, Kundalini, consciousness ascending, and he goes to the roof where he's told it was a simulation. These people here are background characters fulfilling psychological needs. And if you want to go back and live a real life, what does he have to do? He has to jump off the building. He has to right. fall into incarnation. Right. And so, like, that movie kind of has this point where, yeah, he has tech support. He has a moment to realize what was real, what was fake. He recognizes the significance of all of his experiences. Then he decides, does he want to have a real life or not? And, of course, he decides to jump back in and reincarnate. But that movie had a, you know, interesting idea about that at the end there is some kind of a little bit of a, reprieve a little bit of, of a break. well that's what you touched on before that that's like the perfect you know embodiment of that dying before you die kind of thing like he actually got the choice you know what, what did he say in the beginning of the movie if you know i'm gonna i'm that one person that's gonna live forever or so you know when he was plucking out his gray hair there in the beginning and, and in the end it's like it's not it's not the living forever that that is going to to free you of whatever anxieties we have in this world it's it's the ability to accept death you know to jump into death you know b before it actually happens physically and maybe there's only you know, like the, the time it takes for him to jump and you know hit the ground or whatever but that really does sort of encapsulate that whole you know the masonic sort of dying before you die thing so that that's probably that's probably a perfect moment to to wrap up the conversation and and leave it yeah well hey i appreciate the call very much thank you for taking all the time to uh go over these things i think these are uh interesting areas of uh discourse speculation and i think all the people in the chat here appreciate it uh do us some pair so please yeah. uh, call back any time yeah yeah thanks tim i wanted to thank you for that as well it's just it's my favorite sort of little topic and I, I didn't want to interrupt your flow there but i just at the same time i couldn't resist so i really appreciate the time and everyone's time for sort of listening in um talk soon okay excellent thank you thank all right you. everyone there's do us some pair of on there for just under 42 minutes just talking about uh the realm incarnation light and dark the meaning of it all and yeah, Vanilla Sky is an intriguing movie. On one level, it's bad and it's trite. On another level, it's a Gnostic uh, telling of this Christ and Magdalene, or David and Sophia, who dies at 33, is reborn three days later. But this, the, the subtext, the soundtrack, it's got layers and layers and layers. But it even has foreshadowing for 9-11, for COVID-19, 2020 lockdowns. And it has a few other areas as well. Like I happen to think that you could connect eyes wide shut 
to Vanilla Sky, which was based on a book originally called Open Your Eyes. And it opens up with the phrase, open your eyes, being repeated and repeated. So Eyes Wide Shut, Open Your Eyes, and Tom Cruise is in both. And I, I found some connections there, and I, I may go into that. It had to be a separate uh, conversation. All right, let's see what else we have going on here. I was talking about bats earlier, and echolocation is a way of describing synchronicity in a cybernetic universe. And uh, yeah, so yesterday I was, I got my news alerts, and there was someone in Albuquerque to watch out for. They said she had a, they showed a picture of her. She had this tattoo of a bat on her neck, and they said she was going into gyms, taking people's keys, and then going out and taking their cars. So we had this person running around. And I made a wrong turn, and I accidentally went through a drive-thru of a Slim Chickens, and I wasn't ordering anything, I just made a turn. And the person who walked up to me to take my order happened to have that exact bat tattoo across the front of her neck. Now, I could allow that to just be a coincidence. You know, the bat thing, it's a coincidence. You know, as Ian Fleming, author of 007, James Bond said, you know, once is a happenstance twice is a, you know, I think once it's a coincidence, is that twice is a happenstance, three times is enemy action. And I think that's kind of the main thing here. Uh, coincidence versus intentionality. Is there a cause behind it? Is there a meaning to it? Or is it merely a coincidence? And coincidences exist. Meaningful coincidences. That's the distinction. And what differentiates the two is the individual perceiver context. And timing is a huge part of it. Timing is almost all of it, actually. Right place, right time. Tomanoi3 says, Minority Report had a lot to do with eyes, MI2 masks, and flu, both movies, same time for Cruise. Well, in Vanilla Sky, it was about a mask. His face gets mangled in a car wreck, and he has to wear a mask. And, uh, again, the symbolism of the mask and the idea of the false self, the simulation, it's it's all pretty much there, but the deeper level of the story has to do with Sophia, who causes him to uh, awaken from his death-like slumber into the simulation and serves to help initiate him into a full awareness of what he's in. And then he can decide if he wants to remain in it. Uh, Tom Cruise is also the Jesus of Scientology, and you'll find that the number 33 plagues him. I mean, it's all part of the scripting of this character, but it's not a coincidence he divorced all of his wives at 33. Uh, the movie Top Gun 2, you could break it down scene by scene. It's all about sun worship, the solar phallic cult, uh, the number 33, the phoenix, the rooster. It's all layered. Even the name Tom Cruise, Thomas, Twin, Cruise, Cross, the double cross, the cross of death and resurrection, the two rungs, I mean, the two bars on the cross. Uh, Tom Cruise's character on the world stage, it's all about this sun god archetype. And if anytime you look at pictures of him, like Tom Cruise, he's always hanging. Um, he's always like in a very, like just search Tom Cruise hanging. And many movies, he's always dangling, hanging, hanging from a cliff, hanging from a plane. And uh, this is all imagery that has been projected onto the collective psyche for quite a long time. And it's all for a reason. Uh, the hang, the hanged man. In fact, in Top Gun 2, there's a character named Hangman. 
who says, I am good. I am your savior, multiple times. And the actor who plays Hangman happens to be a 33-year-old actor. What is the point of it all? Well, we are looking at esoteric aspects to mass media. Uh, that's really what it comes down to. Going through some comments. Ooh, an interesting. Do us in Paris. Sophia was a moth that turned into a butterfly. Right, Cameron Diaz's character makes that statement. Yeah, these these every line in that movie is is chosen because it has some deeper layer to the meaning. Uh, his father. So the whole the movie opens up where uh, Tom Cruise's character he inherits a publishing company called Rise. And I think it's modeled off of William Randolph Hearst and his publishing empire. But Rise is the magazine. Rise, like rising up the tower at the end. The rise of the Kundalini, thus the 33. And he's talking about his father, who lived a life that I think put his son in the in his shadow. Like he couldn't live up to his father. He was afraid of heights. But when he talks about his father, he talks about his father's autobiography, which opens up with a chapter called The Kingdom. And the kingdom is a reference to, of course, the material realm, the bottom. When you fall from the crown, when you fall from the top, and you hit the bottom, you're in the kingdom. So in the movie was just showing the story of his incarnation, his falling voluntarily down the tree of life for the purposes of uh, climbing again, I guess. All right, let's see what else we have here. Going through your comments. Elephant Tusk says, in Vanilla Sky, Times Square is empty, which is a reference to the CV shutdown. Yes, the movie opens up where he's having a nightmare about everything being shut down, and he wakes up with Cameron Diaz, his character, Julie, and they're both faking a cold so they don't have to go to work. Like, hmm, faking a cold so you don't have to go to work and everything is locked down. All right, moving on. We've been talking about the PSYOP Entertainment Complex, which is vast, ubiquitous, and global, and it's invisible, as long as you're within the MSM box. I had this image I created, if you haven't seen it yet, on one of my posts, and a quote from Christoph, Truman's mind control programmer. We accept the reality of the world with which we're presented. It's as simple as that. I think it's fascinating that if you look at the symbol of the television when it's off, you know, it's like this black cube and then you turn it on and you get the light, but that it's a, a false light and that the black cube is a symbol of the material realm, symbol of Saturn. The cube is a reoccurring symbol and it's not the God necessarily, of the, maybe you could say it, if you wanted to have assign a God to the material realm, time, space, constraint, limitation, light and prison into matter, yeah, you would probably say Saturn but or the Saturnian Osiris Earth God. But the symbol of the cube is a reoccurring theme. And I think it's fascinating that the television is just like this box. And I think the box is a perfect symbol of the realm. And the TV, the television, is um, itself reflective of the Saturnian cube. So I have this image of these people walking up a hill like Sisyphus in Hades climbing the mountain with the rock or the boulder. But they're carrying the television boxes on their heads. And this is a reference to the burden of proof. Uh, to 
be a believer in the mainstream delusional version of reality, fundamentally, uh, you would be accepting a burden of proof that's not yours. You don't have to carry this. You can drop it and you can be a free thinker outside of the box. But most people carry that on their heads. They carry the burden of proof. They accept it. And the weight of the fake world goes along with it. Caring about things that don't matter. You're getting triggered over fake dead kids and you set yourself on fire to make a political statement. That kind of thing. Elephant Tusk says, Amazing how many video games reference this. Sega, Saturn, Nintendo, GameCube, Xbox. Xbox is a black monolith, says Elephant Tusks. So we were, I was talking to this caller. We were talking about incarnation, right? So how you like your ego in life and your perspective that you have while you're in this realm. Do you retain that? Well, when you play a video game, you are way more complex than the character you're playing. So you're sitting down as a as a as a person existing in this world with an unlimited number of choices, you can do whatever you want, but you know you're going to sit down and concentrate on this black box. And now you're going to exist as a reduced version of yourself as an avatar in a simulated realm that goes into a script where you have no free will. So you go from free will to plugging your free will into a box for the purposes of amusement to where now your will is constrained to a limited set of options. Now you're in a game with a set of rules. So I kind of think that the Xbox and the Saturn symbolism in a way can look be looked at as a metaphor for incarnation in the sense that we've been describing it. And it may even be a symbol of this realm. But the symbol of the black monolith, I pointed this out before, is very well represented on the symbol of the tarot cards, uh, the devil. We already talked about death. We may as well bring up another one. And the devil card, I often point this out, it's not Baphomet. You know, people think Baphomet and the devil are the same thing. Uh, no, they, they're actually complete opposites. Uh, the, the Baphomet symbol isn't a singular entity. It's more like a, a, a totem or a, an amalgamation. It, it's man, angel, and beast all combined with a torch between the horns representing light uh, transcending the bestial. Man rising above towards angelic, thus the angel wings, and its poise, its balance. Uh, by contrast, uh, the devil has a torch that's pointed down uh, to extinguish the light. And the devil rests on a black cube, which may as well be an iPhone or a black monolith, but it's the symbol of this realm. And he has man and woman chained to this cube. And this is like being plugged into your Xbox. Uh, she's eating grapes, and so is he, because they're enjoying it. They both have horns like the devil. In other words, they're plugged into the material realm, and they're enjoying it. They're enjoying the endarkenment, the opposite of illumination. They're plugged in at the level of flesh to the material realm, subservient to the devil who has the sign live long and prosper, interestingly, with his hand. But this symbol here, or this collection of symbols, explains the predicament of the incarnated human soul uh, subject to the, to the material realm, and specifically what happens when you shut off the light, when you are happily chained to the, to the block here. Um, there's a few other things about this I, I think are really intriguing. 
uh, one of them being of course the live long and prosper hand sign but also the upside down torch as a symbol of endarkenment is just intriguing to me because uh, what has put us into the dark more than the fake space program where you have a rocket going up into the darkness of space and everybody's watching it oh it's progress we're going into space science well that rocket is really an inverted torch if you look at the symbol of it and what is it doing going into space going into the dark taking us into ignorance enslaving us to the cube the black box the material realm the big deception so I think that the symbolism here um, is um, completely the opposite of the Baphomet May concept which has been unfairly uh, demonized and associated with the devil as grotesque as it actually appears to be I mean it's kind of a chimera thing okay let's see what else we have here all right Flatland Montgomery says looks like the chain is loose they could remove it if they wanted to yes I I took a course when I was in the military I took this mail order course from this group on um, in Los Angeles but it was they focused on the uh, tarot symbolism it was a mail order course BOTA the builders of the additum in fact their symbol I believe is a cube and it's a symbol of course of the material realm builders of the additum I'll put the image up on the screen if you want to see their cube but anyway um, as part of the course uh, they, they would send you pictures of the tarot cards and they'd break it down symbol by symbol uh, so you could understand you know how they arrive at these things and none of it is arbitrary and one of the points they made in this card is that they're not pulling against their chains that was the main point it's, it's they're um, not even resisting because maybe they know they don't know there's something to resist which makes me think about people who are you know plugged in into the screened reality unquestioningly uh, why would they question it you know they've they've accepted the burden of proof they've they've uh, accepted the reality of the world with which they've been presented they're comfortable in their Truman shows NPCs following their NPC scripts what would be the incentive for breaking that especially if it's fun alright thanks again everyone for the comments and thanks again uh, to the caller we will do this again same time tomorrow likely uh, definitely earlier and uh, tomorrow morning we're gonna begin the IPS morning deep program and then tomorrow morning I'll be kicking off the 24-7 stream I'm still adding content there and we'll do our first discord IPS think tank live chat in a long time I mean we we used to do these all the time but this will be again a scheduled event we'll be inviting people and hopefully we'll have uh, some lively or interesting conversations uh, coming from that every morning as well and I'll be putting those into the archives as well any kind of conversations we have that aren't during these live streams anyway thanks again for joining this is Chief Crow auto hoax or GTFO thank you all for the support and again we'll see you all tomorrow or we'll see you in discord